Warning. The following contains bright, flashing lights, and slash or imager that may cause discomfort, and slash or seizures for those with photosensitive epilepsy. Viewer discretion is advised. How was the how was the border crossing for you today? A little different than the past, dude. I see they added all kinds of buildings. I got a, a legit day pass on my passport. Oh yeah, is yeah. that a real thing? Yeah, I mean they're 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 trying to be better about letting people into Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. they're trying to keep up appearances, but people you know still figure their way around. Is this your first time in Tijuana? Not my first time. It's been a minute, bro. I, I avoid Tijuana to tell you the truth. What 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 do you avoid about it? Yeah, like, I, just, I just watch the news, bro, and I'm like, I ain't trying to go out like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a strange place, you know. If you if you listen to the news, you know, you'll stay away. Right. But if you talk to people, most of San Diego lives in Tijuana right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's weird because I'm like comfortable with death, or I've I've accepted it, but yeah. I am not trying to go out like they yeah. be, like they be going out down here. Yeah, I, we we we. We spend such a long time looking for it, and when we finally get to a place where we don't want it anymore, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we, we play it safe, right? Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Brawley, California, which is southern, right there by Mexicali, across from yeah, the border. Yeah, yeah, it's a that is a, one of the main smuggling routes right now. Back then, it was mostly people. Like, what was that childhood like? That's 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 barren. That's kind of a barren place to kind of grow it's up in. It's a desert. It's agricultural. It's hot as hell, like 120. Um, small town. Everybody knows everybody, which is a good thing, man, because that type of upbringing is different yeah. than, than big city. Yeah. So, so like uh, neighbors knew your name. Uh, More than the neighbors, the whole town. It's just a small just town. just a small town. What about your parents? Um, hard workers, Mexican, one of the second generation since my grandparents from, from Mexico. Uh, my pops would work in the fields, and then he, he eventually became a correctional officer in 1993. My mom, she used to work for the WIC program, which is, you know, like the... For, yeah. And then she went on to work for the um, uh, welfare department. Like, what was that transfer? Like, were, were you around for his work in the fields and then transferring into corrections when you were a kid? So I was a newborn in Hanford. He was working, and my mom was pregnant. They went up there. They had me, and then they came back down. Yeah. They were young, man. They yeah. were young. Corrections. What, what, what was that like growing up around that at home? Like, was it talked about? Was it a silent uh, type of parenting where, like, we don't bring work, to, uh, work home? What was that like? It's funny because as a kid, there was some type of kid school. Um, well, I take it back. When my dad started the prison, there was a field trip or an open house for the families to go to Sentinella and take a tour of the prison. So that was my first time there. No inmates, right? And then in high school, we do a field trip to Calipatra State Prison. Yeah. There, was, there was inmates there, bro. <laughs> Level four. <laughs> so they, they from, like, it's from school, that's a field trip. A field, well, it's a small town. There's two prisons, one on each side of the town. And then, you know, you got Border Patrol down there too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, that's, that's, that was a field trip for you? Like, how old were you when that second field trip with the The second inside? one was probably junior year in high school. Yeah. It's 15, 14 years old. What was that like? Um, it's kind of funny. 
man, that's a good question because nobody had asked me about this one. Um, well, I had a friend that was kind of chubby, and uh, they were catcalling him, hey, gordito. I wasn't scared. I was laughing. He was scared. Why were he you leaves. laughing? And Because it, was your, did your dad basically kind of like already kind of go through the paces with you about what that reality was? Or no, what? I just, I could tell they were joking with him. I could tell they weren't coming from a, a mean place. Yeah. They were just like catcalling. Did your father prepare you for any of this? Oh, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was there any conversation about this, or was it just the work in the background that your father had? Yeah, my dad is an old school, quiet, respectable, honorable dude, does not, did not talk about work. Uh, once in a while, he would bring home like a tattoo gun, but I, I think he would just bring it just to like sh show the fam. Like, not, he wasn't bragging, he was, that was very rare, right? Yeah. He'd be like, oh, look, but he was missing the needle. It would be like the, like the, the big pan yeah, with the, a little motor. Yeah. What, would, what would they make the motor out of? Uh, the radios. The radio. The radios. Yeah. Uh, and then he brought home dice, one time dice that were made out of um, toilet paper, like toilet paper, hard and square yeah. with a dot. Basically stuff that he would get as contraband inside of those places that, or, or now things he, they would find. Right. And he wasn't doing this like frequently, like yeah, in, yeah. In, in, what did he do, 22 years? Yeah. And that was in the beginning he only brought home those. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing he brought back was a wooden, um, from the wooden baton rounds, the 40 millimeter, where they splinter and they break your ankle. And yeah, yeah. He brought one of the wood blocks. So... Those three things in 22 years. When he would bring these things over, tattoo guns, dice made out of toilet paper, uh, what, what was your, like, what did you think about this? Well, I, was a, these, I these... was a very hyper kid, bro, like ADD, hyper, so, like, I was all giddy, like, oh, shit, look, like little treasures. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were, were, like, when this was happening, like, your mother's in the background. Yes. Yeah. So, my dad... And I never realized, like, you don't, really, you don't realize the hard work that they're putting in. You know, coming, him coming home at 2 p.m. and then laying on the couch and then crashing out for a few hours. I didn't realize, like, in hindsight, now I know he was working at SEG, which was very active, which is a whole, and busy and violent. Uh, he, of course, he would probably come home and crash out because now I come home and crash out after work. Yeah. And I got my daughter jumping on me and, you know, kicking yeah. me. That, so when you were a kid, you were like, hey, well, dad, why, why was my dad always kind of like... We used to do pranks, bro. Uh, here's a prank that we did, man. Me and my sister. She's three years younger than me. My dad was asleep on the couch, bro, like regular program. And uh, I was pretty mischievous. I told my sister, like, hey, I'm going to get some... <laughs> here, get some ice water, right? And then I'm going to get the broomstick and hit the fire, the fire uh, smoke detector. And I'm going to set it off and just throw it on my dad's face. <laughs> So, yeah, when it went off simultaneously, he woke up and beat our asses, but it was hilarious. You just wanted to have, get a reaction out of him, basically. Just play around. I was a kid. Yeah. Just, you know, play around with your pops. Yeah. Was, was uh, like, you're, you're a kid. You're figuring things out. Your dad's in this field, and it's a mystery to you in a lot of ways. I mean, he doesn't talk about it every now and then. He brings in some mystical items from the realm, the prison realm, basically. You know what was big back then were those old school A&E documentaries of like 1990s prison. Yeah. Uh, you know, before the lockup shows, you have the big buff inmates, you know, with the water bags and actually they probably had weights back then. <clears throat> he would watch those. And again, my dad was not married to the job. My dad actually probably hated the job, but I think he would just, you know, watch it every once in a while to kind of give us a glimpse, give us a glimpse into his, his job. Yeah. 
was that ever in your like when you were a kid? Was that in the back of your mind? Man, Melvin, maybe I'm gonna go into that line of work later. I was afraid, man. I was afraid for my dad. Uh, I was scared. You know, I didn't know. Only thing I knew about prison is there's mean people there, mean yeah. bad people, and also what you see on like movies and, and fiction. Yeah, like, so the, this is where my dad works, where all these fucking people are getting. Yeah, so I had fear for my dad. You know, like like legit fear, like anxiety. Um, and then it. You know, I actually got later on in life, I'd have the opportunity to work side by side with him. But uh, yeah, he didn't share that with me. I was always, I was always what, trying what, to get a glimpse. What, what were you into when you were a kid? Like, what was your thing? Oh, uh, bro, like me riding bikes, riding skateboards, jumping off the roof. What was it? What was your uh, preferred deck? Oh, dude, I had like, I had like a Chad Muska deck, a Jamie Thomas Zero deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had them all. Rodney Mullen. Fuck, I used to look up to Rodney Mullen. <laughs> what about shoes? Did, were you one of the guys that put all the tons oh, inside of the shoes? Bro, you posted those Muskas the other day, and I'm like, I had those. <laughs> with I the zipper, with the zipper pocket. The stash pocket. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I didn't have, um, I didn't put the, they were those Cyruses. They yeah, already, th- those things were, they didn't need anything. They were already fat that was shit. my That was my time frame, bro. Tortas. I was getting it. Yeah, that, yeah. that was me too. <laughs> Uh, I was. I, I mentioned that. And I talk about that because it's been such a con- constant thing with people that are sitting right where you are that go off and do wild shit with their lives from really seals to criminals to yeah. whatever. Um, the skateboarding thing, the skateboarding culture, and growing up in that culture gave us so much when it came to one learning about risk management <laughs> and. Uh, the, the the physical side of it, I mean, when I went through selection myself to go into the line of work that I did, I had amazing cardio, more than some of these people that have been training. Yeah. And it's because I rode around a skateboard all, all the time. So I had all the cardio in the world. I did my selection process wearing Edney's skateboarding shoes. No way, dude. Edney's <laughs> are cool. I mean, it, it was... For me, I think that uh, growing up in that skateboarding culture, basically, one, if you're, you know, fucking hyper... You just need somewhere to focalize that. And a lot of people, I think, found that within skateboarding. The two things that I really enjoyed was the freedom, the freedom of leaving at nighttime. Because we did a lot of skating at night because it was hot as hell during the day, 120. Yeah. But we'd skated during the day as well. But all night long skating with the, with the halogen light, the spotlight, the old school camcorders, the backpack that had the speakers. I had rich white friends, so they the had... The backpack that the, had the speakers, dude. That is like future tech. Well, I had, like I said, I had rich white friends, and they were getting new decks every day, bro. And I was rolling around with like yeah, shitty you, you, stuff. You, you know, you know where you were on the uh, on the scheme of things when you had splinters on the, both of the noses of your back. Uh, facts, board, right? facts. Um, so you, you're 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 skateboarding. You're doing. You know, you're. Are you are you aiming at something in life at that time, like work wise? Like I'm going to grow up to be this. I had I had absolutely zero goals, zero ambitions up until career day, junior high. How old were you? Sixteen. Sixteen. Your career day happens, and what careers are there being exposed to you? It was that one business class or whatever in junior high. Wait, in ju- no, not junior high. It was junior year. So whatever business class, and then the marine comes in. This marine in a uniform. Uh, the dress uniform, he starts talking about college, traveling, every, medals, everybody's, you know. And what went to my mind was as a, as a young kid, being at my grandma's house, 
I would watch those commercials, those marine commercials yeah. when they're slaying the dragon and the chest. Yeah, the, du- the dude's transforming from a knight into that like that. I, re- I remember watching that. I wasn't even fucking an American. I wanted to join the Marines watching that shit. Yeah, dude. So the light switch went off. Like, in order for me to leave this town, I have to join the military, the Marines. The goal yeah. was the Marines, right? And then there's that kind of didn't yeah. pan out. Yeah. Did you, like, this is what year is this? This is like. Ooh, dude. Um, it was two. 2000? Yeah, 2000. 2000. So we were, we were, we're approaching the wars. The, we're approaching the, the, the shit hitting the fan. Yeah. You didn't know anything about that. You just, you know, let's, let's figure this out. I did not know anything about that. But once I saw that it was heading that way, that's what I had wanted. Like, I asked a lot of people that have been, like, that were young in that moment. And again, I was experiencing everything from far away. When those towers were hit, and when all that shit was going on, what was motivating you to say, "Well, I'm even more committed to this now"? Like, what was going through your mind that said, "Well, I want to now. I have to fight these people." I was already enlisted. Yeah, I was already enlisted through the delayed entry program, which is um, you can sign your contract, and when you ship, when you graduate high school, you ship out. So I was asleep. I had a little box TV in my room, my bedroom. My dad wakes me up. Hector, Hector, wake up. This is before school. Wake up. They're attacking us. I wake up all groggy. He flips on the TV. And, um, the second plane hits, probably. Yeah, second plane. First words out of my mouth, dude, as like a 16-year-old. Like, fuck yeah, I'm going to war. Yeah. And my dad, he said, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. He was older. You know, he's old man. Not old man, but this dude. He, he experienced. Yeah. And it kind of, you know, like if a dog, sm- or you smack a dog, yeah, kind of, like, so, yeah. I, and then... Like, so, again, the, vengeance, is that? Or... Vengeance, or, or, when or, I... Or, or, or anger, uh, will, uh, 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 an excitement for a fight, for a fray. Like, what is going through your... Yeah, I wasn't... Don't give me... Don't, don't uh, misscrew it. I wasn't misscrew it. I wasn't happy that the towers went down, but I saw an oppor- the, op- the opportunity. To my pr- opportunity. To, to prove yourself. Yeah. Is that it? Like, the call to adventure in a lot of ways? The call for, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. Like, for me, I, I asked that because a lot of people go, went into that with different, you know, some of them went into it for, with vengeance in their minds. Uh, some of them went in, in, in there with uh, patriotism. When Afghanistan kicked off right after that in 01, and the special operation soldiers started getting killed because it was coming out on the news. That was giving me like a burning feeling in my heart. Like I need to be there. I need to be there. I want to be there. I got to be fighting there. Yeah. So, so when I say that, like, was anybody putting that into your head? Was it? The, was, was it? <laughs> yeah. Was, was, who, who? Like who was putting that? The, into the your movie head? We Were Soldiers and Black Hawk Down, bro. And I even think that Saving Private Ryan came out around that time frame. Yeah. I can't remember, but there was like. Three movies that kicked off. The, the mentality of fighting for the, pe- for the person next to you. The, the, the mentality of war being horrible and terrible, but like necessary. Well, th- damn, you're asking some good questions, bro, because nobody planted that in my head. Nobody gave me that drive. Nobody showed me the way. You know, nobody was in my family that joined the military. Reflecting back on my grandma's side, she had like, I think, World War II or Vietnam veterans in the family. But I didn't know anything about them, never talked to them. I think it's internal, dude. Yeah. I think it's internal. I mean, I have this theory. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, I think a lot of us that grew up in similar backgrounds and already had risk in our lives and maybe a little bit of uh, aimlessness. 
I think if anything, like you said, the risk, right? Here I am skateboarding, throwing myself off a roof. What is the end game? But here now I have, if I'm going to risk myself for a purpose, purpose. it's a higher purpose, a calling. That's yeah. what it was. Purpose. Now, this is kind of like going further, like forward in time a little bit, but it's, I think it's pretty interesting to kind of talk about. What were your feelings when the U.S. was leaving Afghanistan recently? Uh, seeing, um, seeing how that fell well we withdrew from iraq first before we withdrew from afghanistan so i had already uh felt that and it's i i felt for the afghanistan veterans because i didn't serve in afghanistan but i know the feeling of having to fight for something and then watch it just get it thrown away yeah and that's a fucked up feeling the the futility of the like all all of the uh struggle of loss and everything like that how it uh turned into a plane with a one, uh, I think it had a zero nine eleven on it as a tail number, which has always been something mind blowing to me. That that was the last plane to leave a C one thirty with a nine eleven on it, basically written on it, and people fly, uh, falling from it, which is yeah creepy and right. I don't know kind of I, I don't know I, I believe a lot in alignment and coincidence and stuff like that, but that's for sure. But so you're. You're seeing this. You're, you're, you're excited. Purpose. This is my chance to prove myself. I think that too, because I was a, I was a bitch, bro. I was a bitch, like you know, scared, scaredy cat. Like one time, some guy came to my house, tried to beat me up after I was talking shit to him, and then I, I ran inside the house. My dad opened the door, and my dad told me, "Get out there, go fight him, go fight him in the dirt lot." And I was looked at my dad like, "How dare you open the door and set me <laughs> up?" But I brought that upon myself, yeah, you know, anxiety. So, like, I think I was trying to, yeah, I'm gonna keep it real, man, because I ain't never said this shit before. Like, uh, Pop Warner football, man. I was a kid, and my dad took me. I told him I wanted to play football, and I was too scared to get out of the fucking car. I was scared, bro. I didn't want to get hit. I didn't fucking anxiety. Yeah, I do have massive anxiety, bro. And I'm pretty sure I let my dad down. He probably thought I was a bitch, you know? Like, I have a daughter, so I, I know yeah. what it's like to be a parent. Yeah. And it was probably a lot of those little moments of feeling like letting my dad down or not performing to a man as a man. Yeah. So you, you, know, you have that morning with your dad when he <laughs> hits, hits you on the snout with a newspaper, basically, right. when you start spitting mad shit. Right. Uh, but, but you go. You, 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 you figure you figure your way out out of the door after mm-hmm. that but it wasn't uh it wasn't all rainbows and sunshines man like my dad was adamantly against me going into the army even though my parents signed the permission slip i was 17 years old they signed they signed the waiver i mean in their minds vietnam i imagine is in their heads and you know some of the, some of that imagery i imagine but because of their age they were trying to talk me out of it, man, saying, hey, we'll pay for all your college. Just get your shit together. I'm like, I'm not going to college, Dad. I don't freaking like high school. I don't like school. Why, why would I go to college? <laughs> like, that's exactly what I would tell them. They were trying to buy you out, basically. I, I see it. I get it from a parent's standpoint. Yeah. There was no freaking stopping me, dude. Yeah. What was, the, what, was the, what was that last moment with them before you left? Everybody was in t- choked up. Like I, I wasn't because I was trying to portray the, uh, the strong, strong dude figure. Um, but I- initially, you know, I have to go to basic training at Fort Benning. That was a, a moment. And then I had to go to Germany, from leaving San Diego. to Ger- That was another moment. Like you could tell I was killing my parents, like in their eyes. What was the last thing they told you before you left? 
Like, I love you and be careful, like the typical. Bendición. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could, my dad not a, doesn't show emotions, but you could tell it was, they were choked up. Yeah. You go, you say, you know, you go for your basic, and yeah. then you're off to Germany. Had you traveled before any of that shit? Fucking uh, <laughs> Hawaii when we were like 15 that's, family vacation. That's <laughs> about it. Then in uh, San Felipe. No, that's, 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 a, that's exotic. Right. And now you find yourself somewhere in fucking Germany. Yes, figuring shit dude. Out. In, in December 8th, 2002, no less, bro. It's freezing, dude. Like negative 20 degrees. Yeah, you, wearing a t-shirt. You, you go from death battle weather to, to that. Basically. It was cold, dude. And my mom kept telling me, take a sweater, take a sweater, <laughs> Hector. And I, you know, a kid, nah, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Nah, I'm cool. Oh, dude, it was bad. You, what was that, uh, you know, you go, to ba you go through basic. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? I mean, the, 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 the change from high school to now being basically trained to become somebody that's employed by the U.S. government to do... A killer, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Do shit. What, what, what was that process like for you? So that's what I had wanted, right? That's what I was eager for. When it came to yelling at us and doing the push-ups, I, I got happy, right? I felt I was like, okay. But then they kept, the drill sergeants kept doing the whole kill, kill, kill. We're gonna, you guys are killers, kills, kill. And that, I'll be honest with you, like that made me take a step back. Like I put a hard block on it. Like, what, what was that? What, what was your aversion to it, or why did why did it seem like it was going to, to, uh, against the nature, your nature? Probably because I grew up a Catholic. Probably because to I the Catholic guilt, and that's uh, one of the main uh, you know commandments is thou shalt not kill. And it, you know, if you translate it correctly, it's thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. And I found out the hard <laughs> way. I found that I had a chaplain tell me that yeah. after a certain incident. Yeah, um, but. When you say they're your killers, I mean, do you not looking back on it now as an adult? Because an adult probably is somebody in his 30s, <laughs> quickly learning that, you know? <laughs> uh, now that you're an adult kind of figuring things out, looking back on it, do you see the programming? Do you see that they were actually invested in actually turning into you into these? Not only do I see it, I understand the importance of yeah. it. Yeah. When you say the importance of it, Did you realize that once you were out with a rifle in your hands, actually doing shit? Or, or did it take after you got out of there? Did you realize, oh, these guys... No, no, actually... after I got out. Because after I got out is when I, you know, you could look back. Yeah. During, you know, during, it's, let me put it this way, prior to getting into any type of engagement... You, I asked myself, how am I going to react, man? Am I going to cower? Am I going to run? Am I going to fight? Am I going to be brave? I don't know. Nobody knows till it kind of happens. Yeah. The, the, uh, the four types is what I call them. Uh, you, and Grossman says that there's two, but I, don't think yeah. he's, I think he's full of shit. It's a good book, Sorry. though. It's pretty good, <laughs> but he's full of shit. Because uh, there's not just fight or flight. There's freeze and faint as well. And yeah. you know that if you've been in combat. Um, finding out who you are in that moment and having instructors or people that are preparing you for that moment that know or are aware of this. You know, I, I had my moments in training where they were trying to sh tell us that, hey, shooting people in the face is a thing. And knowing their names afterwards is going to be probably a thing. And these enemies are going to be speaking their same language. They follow your same religious beliefs. And you might be sharing the same place where you're burying your guys and they're burying theirs. Different enemy. 
I thought they were just fucking with us. Or really? freaking us out or just making us want to quit and shit like that. And all of a sudden I found myself out there in this reality. Um, I have a mixed, I have mixed feelings about that, le- that preparation. Because really? I, for me, it's like they, they taught us how to do this, mm-hmm. but they didn't show us anything about what comes after. Yeah, so well, basically think- they gave us half of the, half of the, uh, half of the warrior code that of old, you know, because, you know, warriors in the past would get taught to go to war, but they would also get taught to come back home. And I think I didn't, I didn't get that second part. Did you, did you think you got that second no, part? No, absolutely not. But we should definitely keep the first part, but no. now implement the second part. Yeah. You're correct. Yeah. You're correct. So you, you go through that basic, you go through this preparation, murder, homicide, and uh, basically killing is yeah, dude. is drilled into you around you what about the group think aspect of it like the people around you like what's that what's that experience like having all these people from different backgrounds all of a sudden being piled into this you, you guys, extraordinary experience so going back to the like that original question muscle memory has a lot to do with it man you do things a million times over and over and over again when shit hits a fucking fan your mind is just going to do it automatically autopilot that's why you hear a lot of those people saying oh training just kicked in training kicked in and uh, that's kind of what i had gathered from that the group think i go back and i'm like how the hell did we do some of those wild shit man but it's the group think yeah. it's fucking the power of everybody it's a tribe it's <laughs> it's like legit tribalism and and, and then yeah. going back to this primitive setting of us being ambush predators right and like oh why does this feel so natural i had that moment myself I'm very huge on reflect. I'm thinking that we're back like cavemen, bro. That that type of mentality. I don't think we've advanced that much as 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 the mind has not advanced that much from it. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's a case to be made that in the past we used to have a communal fire and we would sort everything out as a group, and now we have walls. Yeah, and fake uh, fireplaces <laughs> with fucking gas or some bullshit that's, on there. That's true. So you, what's what's that first deployment like? It was February 2004. They had already captured Saddam Hussein. So oh, me and my buddies are thinking the war's over, man. Yeah. We thought, fuck, man, it's, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Everybody's going to be just celebrating the street. Let's go. Yeah. Was it anything like that? Fuck no, bro. It was <laughs> the beginning of the insurgency. <laughs> OIF2. Yeah. So when you say the insurgency for people that don't know about it, like what happened when they... Basically disbanded the military. Fucking everybody was running around doing their shit. All the all the heads of all the snakes were cut off. Yeah. What happened afterwards? Like, what was the general feeling in the in the environment when that happened? The so, gen- the general feeling is that they didn't want us there. Yeah. Like you did your shit. Leave now. Was that it? Was that kind of the feeling? Also, they well, wanted to kill you. You got to realize they were feeding us that the Iraqi people wanted to be liberated. That's what was being fed to us. When you say it was being fed to you, like by command and people in the media and all the people, they're like, hey, people want their freedom. The news, the media, the command, hey, you're going to go over there. These people, they want democracy. They want, but they didn't want that, bro. What what was the reaction to you there? Like like a personal specific reaction that you remember that you like, oh, these people don't want us here. The eyes, you know, the eyes. Scorn. Scorn. Uh, middle fingers from the kids, um, the looks, the cold shoulders, the getting attacked, and them knowing when we were about to get attacked and not informing us. 
Yeah, because you're, yeah, okay. It yeah. was obvious that they didn't want us there. So on, uh, from your perspective, being this young kid, with a, what, what were you carrying in your arms? Uh, M16, bro, A4. And I probably at the time I had a 203 on the bottom, Grenadier. You have that in your hands. And you're receiving scorn from the people that you're there mm -hmm. supposedly to liberate. Yeah. What's your reaction to that? Watching, very observant. So suspicion and also scorn, I guess? Just observant. Um, you know, my eyes open, ears open, brain, yeah. brain open, you know, and that, fuck, that, that, that will fuck you up when you come back too because nobody turns it off. Yeah, it's, uh, it's basically a constant state of yellow and red Yeah, that you have to have on. Also, that's a dopamine addiction in a lot of ways. And all of a sudden, they shut that off. I imagine that is not an easy thing to kind of process. What's, what's your first loss there? Your failure, your first failure, your first loss while you're out there? Like first loss of a friend or first failure? I mean, it's, it's all the same, I guess, in a lot of ways. Whenever, whenever I talk about my experience, I, could, I talk about some of the first people that I lost, you know? Like, so... Um. What so was that? so what? the first major loss, the first loss with my, our medic, Edgar Doc Daklon. Um, you know, we called him Doc because he was from uh, Torrance, California. And he man. Was, he was from Torrance. He was from Torrance. What dude. did he like? What did Doc like? So he was a Filipino, bro. This dude was yoked, man. He had the guns so, on him. Uh, so so um, uh, uh, Asian Mexican. Yeah, yeah, straight <laughs> up, dude. <laughs> a good way to put it. Asian, Mexican, Filipino guy, Doc, yeah. from Torrance, California. Torrance, bro. He had a high-pitched voice, like, hey, guys. I uh, used to work at GNC because, you know, we would talk. To, we, he was our boy, dude. So we yeah. worked at GNC. Great guy, dude. Like a gentle giant in a way. Yeah. What happened? Um, we got mortared on a FOB, FOB Palawada, which we got mortared every day and every night. So we had the satellite system that tracks the trajectory of the round. Yeah. And uh, we were QRF. I mean, we were nonstop 24-7, 365. And it was just a matter of time before this shit happened. Yeah. You know, the, the, Iraq, the insurgents were not dumb. They were very, you know, they had the wherewithal to, to go against our tactics and improvise. So we go. They knew we were going to go. It was four vehicles. The lieutenant was in the front with my buddy Hinks and Doc. I was the third vehicle. Well, somehow we get word that the last vehicle had broken down, which is so weird, bro, because we didn't notice it. We didn't. You're, you're running towards shit. In a way, yeah. I mean, we didn't. It's not, it's not that we were complacent. Let me see. September. You're that was focalized. September 10th. You're focalized. You're focalized on getting rid of whatever is happening over there. Well, it was kind of every time they would mortar us from a location and we went, there would be nobody to be found because they would hit and run. So we were just expecting that. And, and then throw in the fact that a vehicle got broken down. Now that kind of throws a wrench in all kinds of programs. All the unknowns started happening. So the lieutenant said, uh, hey, Farrell, take the vehicle back and go link up. So I go link up with Sergeant Dean. That's my last name, Farrell. Bravo's my middle name. So I go, I go back to the vehicle. I didn't even, I, I just had assumed they were going to wait there. The two vehicles were going to wait at the T intersection till we got back because it was just right down the street. Bro. Yeah. It was, it was around the curve down the street. And as we're probably like f three or four minutes, bro, when I get to that broken down vehicle, it's like <laughs> forever, dude. Thundered and rumbled forever. And everybody kind of just paused like the fuck, followed by gunfire. Like, oh, 
fuck. Hey, they're getting attacked. Let's go. Let's go. Right? Because it took like seconds to process yeah. shit. Hey, let's go. And again, it's that inside that being inside of me that just has to be there, right? And help or just fucking be in the fight. Hey, let's go. Let's go. Fucking. And then it, the sergeant was kind of hesitating. It was just kind of like they weren't tracking as fucking fast as I was. Yeah. And um, we get in the Humvee. We start making our way, and then that's when I see uh, Hinks' Humvee parked in the middle of the road, kind of looks different and shit, and uh, as soon as I jump out of the driver's seat, Sergeant Eggert comes up to the front of me and says, hey, they killed Doc. Like, the way he said it, they killed Doc. And I'm like, you mean they killed Doc? He's like, look, he's right over there. And I, like, look past his shoulder, dude, kind of like I'm looking past yours, and I seen a body in the road. And then everything just went... Like tunnel vision, dude. So I fucking go and I run over there and I stand right over him. I don't know why I just went over there to go look at him. And I, his face didn't look like Doc to me. Like, not that it was disfigured. It just didn't look like Doc. It's gone. It was just didn't look like him, bro. Like, yeah, something, it looked like another person. Something leaves them. Does uh, it? It's, it's like, uh, I don't know, man. Like I've experienced that way too many times in my life. No way, dude. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's, uh, so we're pressurized. Oh, man. So that changes. Yeah. Um, Damn, dude. I didn't know that. Look, I'm learning shit right now, and this is all these years later. But I got, when I, when I, when I asked you to talk about him a little bit, it's, be, it's because of that, you know. We don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like talking just about a body because I know he was more than that. I you appreciate running, that. You running towards him and looking at him or what was him. Uh, that had had to be repeated thousands and thousands of times out there by different young people that who are all about the fight, who are all about bringing the fight to them and. To bring freedom and shit like that. And all of a sudden you find yourself facing loss of that scope. So I'm looking down at the dude and I notice like his shin bone is protruding through his shin. Like it got splintered. So shrapnel must have hit his leg. And I'm not a doctor, but I mean, the Sergeant Egger told me he's dead. He kind of, he looks dead. I'm just assuming he's dead. I didn't take his pulse or anything. And um, it's like. I realize the scene is still unsecured. Yeah. You, you find yourself looking within while you should be looking. Facts. Yeah. And, uh, but I will say this, so man, when I saw his body, dude, my innocence left me. Like I felt something within me leave. Yeah. Like I, you know, my whole life I had always been taught good people, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. That's, and up until that's... September 10th, 2004, in that morning on that road, it was Fucking shattered, bro. Yeah. Shattered. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of us that grow up Catholic or that grow up in some of this Christ, Christi, Christianity, yeah. where, we, where, we're, where we're told that the devil will always lose, right. that God is great, right. and, and then you experience that, uh, that suddenness and that uh, reaping of something that, I mean, your experience, like you talked about him, this is a great guy. I mean, I want to have him over to a barbecue. It's like he sounds like a fun dude, and all of a sudden he's gone. Dude, when you just told me that, it reminded me that I used to tell people, man, I would have let the dude marry my own sister. That's, that's usually what you get with people that you struggle and suffer with. When you talk about brotherhood and shit like that, specifically in, 
in war and in conflict. I mean, people that haven't been there and don't know about that will never understand how close you can get to somebody in the middle of a shitstorm, you know? Yeah. Um, that happens. You secure. I imagine people come over and... Help, start throwing uh, smoke, medevac. What, what, was that, what was the night like that night for you? I think the night was just exhaust, the exhaustion, um, the disbelief, the sorrow. And um, it was right, we knew we were going to be right back in patrol the next morning because they told us, they told us, hey, tomorrow you guys are going out again. Yeah. So we, it was, it we, was uh, no time to process. Zero time. Nobody coming over and say, hey, you guys, let's, let's talk about what happened. Uh, when we got back to the FOB right after that incident, the platoon got, we huddled, we huddled together right outside of our little barracks area and we just kind of all put our head down, you know, and I was weeping, I was weeping. Did, so, any, did anybody say anything? Did anybody know what to quiet. say? Uh, they were, some people were trying to be strong and say, we got to remember him, he was a good dude, but it was kind of like just. You were, none, of, none of you were ready for loss, I guess. I, I think more so the individual that was killed, bro. Doc, yeah. our fucking medic, bro. Yeah. Our medic. Like. Yeah, medics are, are a center point or an integral part of a group, and all of a sudden having the healer of the group Facts, gone. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the situation would have been different and one of the grunts would have died. Like, I don't know. We have felt the same. But the fact that it was him, you know, him as a person, then our medic, you know, you start thinking, like, the fuck? We even had to get a new medic, uh, Doc Impton. He came from, like, battalion, and we were being dicks to him in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We were like, we even told ourselves, like, let's give this fucking dude the cold shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> because, I, I, you know, you're part of your mindset, and I, 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 I remember having some of that shit. Like, you, this guy's irreplaceable, so let's not yeah, even we entertain that. That, and then it's like, hey, this motherfucker, you're not going to be able to fill Doc's boots. And, you know, and after a couple of weeks, he... He proved himself, and it, we let loose, and then he, we, yeah, we embraced him like our brother, but we were dicks in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, and you have to go on. Like nothing, well, not like nothing, but basically you're still there. There's no, there's no bench. There's no going home for a few days and figuring shit out. Not, on, not only that, once, the fucking, uh, once somebody gets killed, they shut off the phones in the internet cafe for 72 hours so nobody can leak the information to their family and they can make the proper notifications. And uh, like I, I don't know if I mentioned, but that fell on my mom's birthday, dude. So I had to hurry my ass up to the internet cafe, call her, tell her happy birthday, and say, yeah, everything's cool. And then just fucking... And almost in darkness. There's no time. And then three days later was the ceremony. The ceremony with the boots, the rifle, the helmet. And that was on, that was on Camp Anaconda, the big Air Force base 15 miles north of where we were at. That was a fucking shock, man. When I didn't know that they did this. I didn't know. I had no idea that they did this. When we were all in formation as a platoon and the first sergeant is doing roll call. Yeah. least that we call it here. Oh, no, dude. And... Uh, they call the, f- oh, dude, they fucking call like the first soldier, my buddy, and then another buddy. And then I start, I, I start thinking, oh, no, I, I know what's about to happen. Oh, no. Like what? Like, and then they get to him. Daclon, specialist Daclon. It's quiet. Specialist Edgar Daclon. Quiet. Specialist Edgar portrayed Daclon. Dude, that's, that's, that's when it hit everybody. 
and and then the fucking twenty one gun salute, and then the yeah. bagpipes, dude. Yeah. That crushed me. We we have the same tradition here, except that here, when that happens, everybody screams out present. That's the difference that we have here. Um, going from that moment of you know that basically t now he's gone, and now we have to yeah. Yeah, to, there's no time. I mean, as no far as you think you're going to sit there and feel sorry for yourself, you're not. You think you're going to sit there and miss them. You're really not because you you can't. You got to keep going. Of course you miss them, and of course you're sad as fuck, and you're scared, but, like, how how can you stop that? How You got to be the fucking monster to survive, bro. You got to be the, 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 mask. the beast. You have to put that mask on. It's a mask. We, we create this mask of being... This unfeeling, robotic, murderous, whatever, like go kill, kill, generation kill, and just this and that mask gets constructed. And that doesn't help when you come back. Yeah. You know. How many deployments did you have out there? I did one 13-month deployment in Balad. How, how was, I mean, do you come off that? Like, what, what, is the, what, is the, what, is, what is that last day like for you? It was a whole lot of year of bullshit, bro. A lot of brains, man. I remember seeing a lot of brains on the deployment, which is weird because when else would you ever fucking see them? Yeah. You know, they were just everywhere. Yeah. And like, got kind of tired of it, dude. When you say tired of it. Guts, blood, just like. Did you. We synthesized. Yeah. Were you not excited about going out there anymore? Like I was the, fucking the, over it. We were over it. Yeah. Me and my best man were over it. As a matter of fact, we were sitting on a fucking canal one of the last missions in January of all, we, we saw a major fucking car bomb in January, bro. Right? This was towards the tail end. So now there's still bullshit happening towards the tail end. We're just fucking over it. Yeah. A but big ass car bomb. When you say you're over it, you just want to be done with this part of your life, I guess. <laughs> so when, when they captured Saddam Hussein, it, 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 me and my best man were drinking in the barracks and we saw it on the news and we were drunk we were upset oh the war's over i just want to be in war i want you know we want our super bowl yeah. we want we're grunts we signed up for this shit well we got it we got it for fucking 13 months and then it's like well this is not what i wanted this is not what i asked for this is not black and white this is definitely gray you know i can't even see no fucking enemy because they're just blowing us up and mortaring us yeah it's like how the fuck you, you talk about this canal experience. You're, you're there with your friend on this canal. Oh, dude. What, 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 is, what, is this, uh, what is this conversation like? So, like, it, we, we were out on patrol. We get a radio call that a vehicle had got shot up. Because, you know, the tribes are warring with themselves, the Shiite, the Sunni, different. And the vehicle got shot up, and the vehicle's in the dry canal bank. So we fucking go over there, you know, early in the morning, too. It was like 6 in the morning. And we look, yeah, the dude's brains, his hands right there, his fucking hands, he got hit with a fucking AK-47. He has a little hole right here, fucking brains on his shoulder. Uh, lieutenant's like, hey, Garcia, go down there, take pictures. He's like, all right, fucking takes pictures, comes up. This was a fucked up thing about it, bro. We blocked off the road, right? And the dude's dead down in the fucking car, and my buddy Weeks gets on the radio and says, hey, Farrell, I have the dude's family members here. Do you want me to let them pass? And I look at them. I'm like, no, 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 Weeks, hold them up there. And he's like, too late. They're already going. Yeah. And we're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. They fucking walk, dude. And they, uh, 
the son, had to have been the son, man. Looks in, he's like 19 or whatever, looks in, ah, ah, fucking starts screaming, right? Well, my best man busts up laughing, dude. He busts up laughing. And then I start, I'm like, hey, you're a dick, bro, stop. But I think it was that nervous where you kind of mask, like you're talking yeah. about mask. It's a mask. Yeah, but we didn't, you know, and then we're trying to, and then. Also, you're not crisis counselors. You're not being trained to be any of that shit. You're fucking there to. It you was know. a fucked up situation. Then he says, like, hey, do you want... He, he looked at me, like, do I take him to the hospital? I said, hospital? I said, motherfucker. You, I said, if you know a hospital is going to bring him back, let me know, because I got a couple people I want to bring back. And we were just, like, callous and shit. So we throw him a body bag so he can load up the body in the body bag. He can do whatever he wants with it. So me and my best man are sitting on the canal bank, and the dude's loading the body. And my best man asked me, um, Garcia, Michael Garcia from Phoenix, or from Globe, Arizona, I should say, middle of nowhere. He's like, um, hey, bro, you think when we go back to the States, we're going to be fucked up, like Vietnam veterans, like uh, Gulf War syndrome? Yeah. And I'm like, nah, dude, like we're good. We're good. Look at us. Like we're chilling right here. Dude's brains are hanging on his shoulder. And I was like, fuck. As a matter of fact, all I could think about is trying to go back. I hope the chow hall is still open. He's like, oh, yeah, you're right, dude. I'm fucking hungry. We're strong. We're strong. We're fine. But like in hindsight, bro, that is all bad. That is all bad. But then in there, oh, we were totally fucking fine, bro. What was the last day like? I remember the last day was just the new units had already had arrived a couple weeks prior. So we were doing the left seat, right seat uh, rides and showing them country. They took a lot of casualties when they took over, man. You know, crashing vehicles into canals and drowning, doing some, I mean, they've, they, they took a lot of casualties. And what, what do you think that, why, what do you think that was? Just was the area of operation, a canal, a lot of canals, a lot of agriculture. It was just a shit space to be operating in, basically. And at nighttime, 100% of the time, we drove in blackout uh, with night vision, knots. Yeah. And, you know, the, any white light will, will white your shit out and you, you'll fucking crash. I, I, I did that one time. I put the Humvee in a canal bank and luckily there was no water in there. And I got an ass chewing from my sergeant. <laughs> fucking 240 flew off. My friend flew out. But you come back. And they begin. When, when, <laughs> well, okay. well, I mean, your, your body comes back. Your ghost is probably somewhere out there still. You know? <laughs> I, I, I come back and it begins. Yeah. How does it manifest for the first time? Um, me driving in the middle of the road and my dad yelling at me. Hey, what are you doing? doing Driving in the fucking middle of the road. Get over, go over there. What are you doing? <laughs> and me, like, not, not comprehending and getting embarrassed and shame. That it was the conflicting feelings that were making me feel bad. Because that, nobody understood what was going on with you. You can't turn to your dad like I'm driving in the middle of the road because of this experience that I had for months, not trying to, not be, not trying not to get killed. But well, there's no, there's nobody there to understand that because you, there's nobody there that went through that with you. Yeah, because I didn't even realize that I was doing that. Like, I, I'm fucking hauling ass in the middle of the road. Here I am in fucking Brawley El Centro, fucking just doing my thing, right? My dad's looking, hey, fuck, Paul, what are you doing? Get on the right side. Get and, and then I get embarrassed because I'm not going to tell my dad. It's one of those things where how the hell do you explain it? I didn't have the maturity to explain it. I yeah. Alcohol? Oh, what are you? Dude. What are you medicating with? When I got back from Iraq to Germany, a fifth of vodka a night. Shit. And I only weighed 130 pounds. So I, I lost 30 pounds. That's alcohol poisoning over and over again, basically. A fifth of vodka and a 12-pack of Coronas. Yep. Every 
single for sleep, right? For air to yeah. numb, to numb, numb. So, yeah, but how, how, for people that don't know this, I guess for me, I drank like a motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> but for me, it was about having sleep, uh, dreamless nights. That would be a good night for me. So basically, being able to just pass out and all of a sudden find myself the next morning awake. I reached a whole new level if I didn't know if I was awake or asleep. I didn't know if it was a dream or did that actually happen. Yeah. I, and it was bad, dude. And I only had three months left in the army. A lot of us were kind of doing shit like that. But since we were close to the end of our contract, it was kind of sh- like turned a blind eye to. You're going through this process of readjusting and also these things are manifesting in you. Are you seeing them in popular culture? Do you hear about other people going through the same shit? Or are you just alone with this? Since 2005, I was alone. Do you have a plan? Do you have a, well, now that I'm out, this is what I'm going to do. Or did you have a plan while you were in still inside? Is, or are you just... So when I had told you I had made the plan to join the Army and Career Day, it, I also, the, the plan was go to the Army for three years from the age of 17 to 20 come out in 20, join the California Department of Corrections at the age of 21, and then do your career. Yeah. That was the plan. That was your plan, except that... Except a couple <laughs> things happened in between. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Um, <laughs> in those plans that you imagine, or did you have an idea about coming out of that experience damaged? Fuck no, dude. <laughs> you thought you were just going to Captain America it all the way through? I didn't know. Like, that. you don't... I didn't... This is how naive and dumb I was, bro. I had always imagined me shooting the enemy, but I never imagined the enemy shooting back at me. Yeah. I, never, I never played that part in my fucking yeah. head. Yeah, we're young. We're immortal, you know? Yeah. We're indestructible. That fucked me up, okay? You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta accept death when you're there. Yeah. I made peace with death, like I said. I abandoned my faith. I abandoned my fucking faith. I said, there can't be a God. If all this has happened, we killed a dude in front of his kids one time. And the yeah. reason his kids were there is because he brought them there to blow us up i said there can't be a god if if this is all this shit's happening and then coupled with um coming home if i had already told myself i was dead what the fuck do i care yeah yeah. what what do i care what i do down here um and then the adrenaline the dopamine that you mentioned the long states of dopamine and flight or flight i was yearning for that so that's when i turned to drugs people talk about adrenaline dumps i don't think that's it's a it's 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 a initial thing that just dumps on you and then you get ready but you just stay ready right and when you come back there's no use for that at the level where it was in you for months right for me it was 12 years uh, but now you find yourself in a quiet place in a place where there's nothing going on what do you do with it <laughs> kill it do drugs drink alcohol drive extremely fast, and just do promiscuous activities. So you find yourself back in a reality that was different. You know, my mom told me that there is no going back home. And I didn't understand what she meant by that until I tried to, you know, coming back from that experience that I had. Either the home changes on when, you, when you're away, or you change on your way back. <laughs> Both. But, but basically, you're a fucking stranger, you know? Alcohol. Alcohol, alcohol drugs, women. So, basically, all of the ways that we could destroy ourselves. 
Okay. Fa- yeah, fucking facts. Yeah. I was trying to destroy myself. Yeah. So suicide is done in different ways. You yeah. Know? Suicide was not a thought like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to jump off a fucking bridge or slice my wrist. But hey, you better believe that I was going hard in the motherfucking <laughs> paint, dude. Yeah. It, it was a, it's like long form suicide. Yeah. So Just wishing for it to end. Yeah. Well, what's your parents' reaction? Oh my god, bro! Uh, poor, poor parents. I put them through hell. What, what, what were you doing that was making them suffer? Drinking excessively. You know, my my parents. You said the home changed. It did because my parents had moved while I was deployed from Brawley to El Centro, so they got a whole new house. But they still own the house in Brawley. So my dad was kind enough to rent it to me because I had saved up $20,000 $20, in my deployment. You weren't spending it on shit and uh, collecting unemployment from the government, from the army. But that was pretty much a freaking like fucking party house, bro. Like I said, drugs, women, alcohol. You just basically got out, you had money, and now you had a space and you, know, you had yourself in solitude. So not only did I have money, but like seven of my marine friends seven of my friends from brawley they were marines they we all came back simultaneously with twenty thousand dollars in our bank account and traumatizes and traumatized <laughs> and what in nine, 18 19 years 19 20 years old could you imagine like the desmadre dude <laughs> it was turned up yeah um uh, are are uh what are your dreams like during this time like w- w- what's going on in your inside yeah, the plan was to be a CEO, right? For but there was a two-year freeze. Like I can't control the freeze. So they'll do a hiring freeze from time to time, and there was a two-year freeze during that time. So I was like frozen, bro. Like as far as application, and I didn't have a, I didn't have, a I didn't have ambition. Plan B. No, no plan I didn't B. have a plan B. And my dad kept telling me, like, like I said, I was hurting my parents, bro. Drink, uh, Isolating in my room, drinking during the day, going all night, drinking, doing drugs, coming back and just repeating that cycle for a whole year. When you say drink, day drinking, how early? Dude, it was 24-7, 365 drinking. I kid you not. For a year. Yeah. What stopped it? But you said how early. It never stopped. Yeah. For me, it was like, it's too early for drinking. It's like, I just, I fell asleep at four, you know, and it's... It's a, it's ten now, and I just woke up, and I and I need something to get rid of the headache. So let me just drink this fucking beer. I would purposely not eat so I can tell the alcohol could hit me harder. That's 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 where you that's yeah that's that's a space. Yeah. What ended this for you? I ended up in jail at the t- in in late two thousand five, early two thousand six. What did you fucking do? Well, we did a beer run. You know, that alcoholism. I'm an alcoholic. I don't know if I mentioned that, but like it, it wasn't just that I was self-medicating. Uh, I'm yeah. an alcoholic, so I was, you know, yeah. it, it didn't mix. It, yeah. It doesn't mix, man. Me and alcohol don't mix. Um, I got 13, oh, 12 years of sobriety. Next month, I'll have 13. Awesome. God I'm, willing. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm two months from three nice. years. Awesome, dude. That's cool, bro. I love this sobriety. Um, you get, get put in jail. <laughs> So I get put in jail, man. What did you call? What did, what did you call? So at the time, I wasn't living with my parents. I was living at my cousin's pad. It was like a tweaker pad, man. Fucking coming, going, meth everywhere. Um, That's who you call? No, while I was living there, I got arrested. You know, I, had, I was so stubborn. I'm like, I'm not going to call my parents. I'm not going to call my parents. Fuck that. What do they care? What did, what did you do? What, what happened? 
So, yeah, like I said, it was a beer run. So then eventually I break it down. I call my dad. Hey, dad, I'm in jail. Somehow he had already known. I guess since they hadn't heard from me from days, yeah. you know, they do, they do the, ro- the routine, call the hospitals, call the jails. You basically, you went offline. Went offline for a few, <laughs> many, two days. He's like, mm, let's go check on this. Right. Like, let's, let me check on my kid. Your dad probably says to himself. I remember my dad came to visit me in the... And I'm going to share this with you, bro, because I haven't shared this yet, man. You know, because it's kind of weird that I was a prison guard. So I was in GP, right? Because I wasn't a... Nothing law enforcement whatsoever. I'm a regular civilian dude. Oh, there's like fucking gang members in there. And since it's down south, a bunch of Sorenos and shit and paisas. And we were in a dorm. And somehow these dudes knew that I had a visit coming up, which is so freaking crazy. But I guess they know everything. They got lists. And uh, two Sorenos approached me. They said, here, put this in your shoe. And I'm like, putting that shit in my shoe? And then they stepped to me like, you're going to put it in your shoe. And I, I, you know, I realized, like, oh, fuck. So I got it, and I put it in my shoe. They're like, hand it to the dude next to you. Because it was different tanks. So it was like pay phones. Oh, bro. So it was like little jack flap shoes, like little fucking slip-ons. And, like, my dad comes. And you, you can see the heartbreak in my dad's eyes. Seeing his son in a jail attire when he was a prison guard forever. Yeah. You know. And here I am trying to fucking fumble with my... It, what do you call those? Kites? I'm assuming it was a kite. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I was upset. I didn't open it up. I didn't want to know what was in there. Uh, and, um, and I'm fumbling with it. And the dude next to me, he's from the other tank. So I give it to him. And I'm thinking I'm going to get caught up, bro. Like, I don't need any of this shit, man. I'm not here for this. Right? I'm trying to get the fuck out of here. And then he hands me something. And I just, that just pissed me off in my mind, bro. Yeah. Like, oh, this is fucking bullshit. So I put that in my shoe. Thank God we didn't get caught. I don't know what was in there. So we go back. Those two dudes pressed me. And I'm like, here, man. Like, I gave it to him, pissed off. And I called my dad and said, don't you ever come visit me again. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be put in that predicament. The shame. The danger. The shame, the, the danger. The, the, like, the, like, what the fuck am I doing to the people around me now? And, then, you know, I'm not a rat. I, I don't know how to, what, what would I do? How, like, if I got yeah. caught with him, like, what the hell is this? Fuck, I, fuck yeah, if zeros. I know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then uh, on the payphone, I call my dad and he goes, hey, Hector, you just got your letter from CDCR saying to go take your written examination in Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> He's like, I don't, with this, what you have going on right now, I don't even think you could get in. I'm like, all right, hang up. The next day I get out of jail. The next day I drive to Rancho Cucamonga, go take the written exam, bro. And I pass. Holy fuck. So when I passed... I stopped all drug usage, like boom, right? Cold turkey, because I'm not a fucking, I'm more, I'm, alcohol is a drug of my choice. Yeah. And uh, two months later, it's a background investigation. And they're, he's like, whoa, wait, man. <laughs> Says here a couple months ago, you were in jail. And I'm like, hey, sir, I could explain everything. He's like, yeah, please do. See, I didn't omit it. I put it on the application. Yeah, yeah you're being honest. It's going to come out anyways. And I said, like, hey, so I got out of the army. You know, I wasn't lying. I was like, I was going through some things, like I, fucking readjustment, hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging around with. Truth. I said, but look, I, this is a learning experience. Like, I know now. I know who not. And he's like, all right, man, I believe you. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm like, hey, thank you, sir. Who's this guy? He was a sergeant. Yes. I don't even know who he was, but I thank him. Like, every chance that I ever got, I thank those people yeah. because it paid G- me to who me, I am today. Gave you a chance. This random guy looking at your paperwork, and you took the risk of being truthful in it. Um, but the downfall with that was I was still drinking. Yeah. 
So when the academy was coming up, I kind of had, I didn't know that I was an alcoholic by definition. Yeah. And uh, I kind of knew that when I drink alcohol, bad things happen. I get in trouble. Yeah. I kind of had put two and two together. So I had told myself, I'm going to stop, take a break. I'm going to stop. No program, no nothing. Nah, by you yourself, just, by it, yourself. That's which is the worst, most dangerous way of doing it because <laughs> it'll kill you. Well, that and like, no program as Nothing. far as like no alcohol just anonymous, said, fuck just it. fucking cold turkey, cold just turkey. On, on my own. How right? was that? How was that process for you? Did you feel it? Well, fuck. Now that we're talking about it, one of the last, the last examinations you get into California Department of Corrections is a medical examination. They do the, your colorblind test, which I am fucking colorblind. Hearing test, which I am deaf. You know, I'm all yeah. fucked up. And they. Uh, the doctor called me. He goes, hey, man, your liver enzymes are fucking inflamed. Like, your liver enzymes are too high. Like, do you drink a lot? I'm like, nah, sir. <laughs> yeah. Nah, probably like two beers every fucking... Uh, no, forget right, your two, body was right. Probably like two beers. Hey, dude, now think about it. He saw those liver enzymes after a year of hitting it fucking vodka every fucking night. Like, It'll grow back, but still. Well, <laughs> still. <laughs> he said, do you drink a lot? Nah, man, not at all. He's <laughs> like, I'm probably all yellow and shit. He's like, check this out, man. Chill out for a bit. Come back and read, like, and, and, and we'll take your test again. Yeah. They'll lower. And I'm like, all right, oh, fucking go and go buy a 40, bro. Like, that's how bad it was. Like, yeah. I brought, bought the 40, drank it, and I'm like, I really got to slow stop. my roll. Yeah. I got to stop. I really got to chill the fuck out here because I'm not going to get into corrections if the like, like my liver starts coming out. I don't even think I was concerned about my own health. There was more so I wanted to accomplish the yeah. goal of becoming a CO. And yeah, I stopped or slowed down per se. And well, I, I slowed down enough to pass the test. My liver enzyme went back to normal and I stayed sober at the academy up until the first examination at the academy. I failed the test. So when I failed the test, it kind of made me feel a certain way because if you fail twice, they'll kick your ass out. We went to the strip club, you know, the cadets, and I drank a beer. And when I drank a beer, just being an alcoholic, it, it, open, it, had, it, open, it opens up the door. It opens You're Pandora's back. box, bro. Fuck, back. I'm back. I'm back. And well, that, what the fuck? What the fuck you get into? Like <laughs> drinking and driving while at the academy. Fucking stupidity. Stupidity. Coming in late. Coming well, not late. Coming in drunk back into the academy. My friends having to cover it up. Like it's a miracle I didn't get caught up in yeah. the dumb shit at the um, at the academy. But then I graduate. I meet my wife. You. Come out of the academy, you make it on. Yeah. What's what's that experience like? This is now you're going from a place that is open and threats are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to a place that is contained, and the threats are within. Well, threats are everywhere too. Threats. But they're all in a container of a sort. What's your, like, you know, you're you're, you're going to go into this place. And you are there to keep them in and also to keep them killing each other and all that other stuff. Right. What's that first conversation with the old guys like? Like, what is, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the rundown that they give you at, at the beginning of this job? Forget everything you learned at the academy. Yeah, it's, that's classic. It's, it's classic. Yeah, it's, it's a classic, truth, but it's true. It's the truth. It's the truth. Uh, do you get told anything about not trusting any of these people that are inside. Oh, you know that. You yeah. learn that. You yeah. learn that at the academy, you know, that they're not your friends. Empathy, not sympathy. Uh, you know, they're always trying to gain one up on you. They're always trying to manipulate you. You, you kind of, you know, the hustle. You find yourself in there now. Like, what's your first job there? 
my first job was in a dorm, Charlie Gym, on a it was a level it was a level three RGP general population, and then if they flipped it to level four. So the outside buildings were level four and the gym stayed level three. So I'm in a I'm in a dorm full of sureños and paisas. And the only reason they had those Mexicans in there is because they kept rioting with the whites, got them out of there. They rioted with the blacks, got them out of there, and it was eventually it was just them. But you know, it's, there's a tension and there. <laughs> it was about it was a hundred, and then me, and my partner on the floor, and then the gunner. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, the talking about being outnumbered. The tattoos on the face was new to me. The tattoos on the upper lip, the tattoos on the eyebrows, the neck, the head blasted. You know, tattoos were not as prevalent as they are now. Now, fucking doctors, teachers. Yeah, yeah. Now, now like, like, now, like you go to Starbucks and there's somebody oh, with like 13 over their eyeball. Yeah, you know? yeah, 13. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you find yourself in this place with this. Do you view them as enemies? Do you view them as an opponent? What do you view the people that are, you're, you're charged with to basically keep? So I don't have the mentality of, oh, I just came back from Iraq. I'm a hard ass. You're going to listen to me. I yeah. kind of had smarter. I, street smarts. Street smarts play a huge role. Yeah. Right? I knew better than to assert myself like that. Yeah. Ain't, no, ain't nobody like to be asserted over. Yeah. So it was more of trying to be cool but not cool to the point where I'm going to be bringing in contraband for them. Yeah. So in di- like uh, this coldness, maybe a little bit of that. But I, was, uh, but I was naive. Maybe I overplayed my hand. Like I said, never did any fucking favors for nobody. Never called them by their first name. Never crossed any lines. But I had to find m- my style. And my style would eventually be my style. I guess I was trying to copy other people's style. And this is some advice for those that like, hey, man, if you don't act like your fucking self, it's going to show. Yeah, uh, ge- um, being genuine is a, is a superpower. Yeah, yeah, if you're not a hard ass and you're trying to go around acting like a hard ass, bro, you ain't fucking fooling nobody. Yeah, people will see right through that shit. Yeah, there's something about being genuine, definitely, that is a superpower. What's, what's your first experience there? When I say experience, I mean, what is your first experience of this being a job that might not be as easy as you you would you would think so in the beginning bro it was cool it was cool in 2006 7 it was cool man you fucking you're wearing a comfortable jumpsuit it's like a big ass onesie yeah yeah you have your lunch you can smash smash food all day long your partners are there um it's structured there's a there's it's a, there's structured. a clock, you're clocked in clock out there's a there's a time frame yeah for- your supervisors were not busting your balls they were definitely not micromanaging i'll tell you that much they weren't as a matter of fact, if you called your supervisor, you were going to get an earful. You were going to get a massive earful what do you from everybody. Yeah. They would be like, hey, what? You want me to go down there and run it for you? And then just click on you. So, hey, I could, that's kind of my right up my alley. But like, as far as like, did I get tested by the inmates? Yeah, I got tested. What was, your te- what, what was the testing like? There was a few tests, man. There was a few tests. You know, the, any test will look like this. They're going to ask you for shit. They're going to ask you for small things and see, you know, are you going to open up that, that, that fucking avenue, yeah. you know? But uh, th- when I say test, uh, they're gonna, they test your, test your gangster. See if you're cool. See, like, yeah, no, okay. test if you're, test your, are you down? Yeah. Are, you, are, you, are you willing to hold down your own? Which, bro, I'll fucking die to prove a point. <laughs> that's, that's my stubbornness and stupidity. Yeah. But, like, at that time, um, there was an inmate on the phone on a level on a level on the level four yard. He was like he was like a Mexican mafia associate. I didn't realize that till after the fact. 
and it wasn't his phone time. And this is something that I wasn't even tripping on, but that day I was like, I think I was new to the building, so they always say come in hard and back it off, as opposed to you come in too, it's gonna be hard for you to turn it up on them. So I said like, hey dude, get off the phone. And again, like in that kind of type of tone, like hey dude, like it's not your phone time. Kind of looks at me, blows me off. Well, if you blow me off, that's what you're, you're elevating shit now. Yeah. Right, you're doing that. And um, I'm like, hey, dude, like, I think I tell him again. And then I tell the control booth officer, give him like, give him like a minute. Right. So he can, and I say it loud enough so he can say bye to whoever he's talking about. Dude, dude didn't just, dude was just on the fucking phone. All right, cut it off. Cuts it off. And that dude turned around. I was like, bitch, bitch, you fucking bitch. <laughs> was that, what's your reaction to that? My reaction was like what I just did right now. Like the fuck? Oxygen coming into your body, your nostrils flaring up, your chest puffing out. You you want to fucking go inside of there and drag them out of this. So, so the inmates were out to yard, right? They, they were out to yard. The only people inside were just like, because there was no day room. Level fours did not have day room at the time. Like I said, it was good program, bro. It was like very chill, right? And uh, when you say day room, day room is okay. So they have the recreational yard outside of the building. Yeah, right. They do their pull ups. They do hand handball burpees. In the inside of the building, they got those four tables, kind of like, you know, steel tables. They got TVs in there, and then that's where those phones are on yeah. the day room, the showers. Well, at the time, they didn't, have, they didn't have night day room, which means that the inmates couldn't come out and hang out inside the, and because, you know, all the stabbings and slashings. Now they do. <laughs> now they do. So there was nobody inside the building other than that dude, my porter, who was a Sureño. Just blew and, on the phone, didn't want to hang up. Fuck you after. Okay, then he called me a bitch, bitch, bitch. bitch. You, your reaction is the same. I was like, <sighs> but as he's saying it though, he's walking away. Yeah. So he's not like saying, you bitch, you fucking bitch, and coming at me like to attack me, right? He's like, he's walking away to lock it up in his cell. Uh, I think the dude was on the upper tier, like 204, 205, 206. And, and my partner was a female. My partner, I went to the academy with her. The over the control booth was on overtime. I remember him. He was he wasn't like ain't nobody. So I'm like, hey, when everybody comes in from yard recall, lock everybody up. And then when I tell you to pop that cell, pop that fucking cell. Cause I was gonna fight the dude, bro. Like I was. Uh, that, you ain't gonna call me a bitch, bro. Yeah. <laughs> in front of the inmates are in their cell too, right? Some are out to yard. The majority are in their cell and they're looking. They're hearing like, fool, gonna let them call him a bitch. <laughs> So then the porter tells me, um, hey, uh, I, don't, I don't think you should do that, man. It's not a good idea. Like, he was talking to me like a normal dude. Um, you have a hot head. He has a hot head. It's not going to end well. I said, hey, man, go lock it up. Call him by his last name. He's like, all right. You know, which goes to show you, like, if he really wanted to fight me or he wanted to hold it down for his own, um, but he kind of just gave me that, you know. Yeah, he, like he, he, had, gave, he, had to, he had to express. The, the common sense, you yeah. know, like that. Somebody has to be the grown-up in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and this time it was my fucking porter. What did you see in that? experience as far as you know ingenuity like you, you you mentioned that when you were a kid you saw some of these tattoo guns what were these fuckers making you name it you name it um electrical outlets like the sir like the yeah. the, the ones that have numerous things they make them out of like wood like cardboard and paper clips and then they plug it into their outlet and then it's i mean yeah it sparks and all kinds of shit they're always tripping the breaker but they make them uh, stingers, which if they don't have anything to boil water, 
they will get like a plug that you plug into the outlet. They'll strip the wires with paper clips and then they'll dump that into the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, it, damn, it, man. it heats it up into boiling. Man, I had I have one of those at home. Do you? I'm, because I'm poor, you know. But I'm not poor. I just I ghetto as shit. Did you make it? No, you buy you, you can buy those here at the store, so I know where they got the idea. Uh, these fucking water heater things. It's basically a coil that you put into the it's a coil. Wood. Yeah, but these are homemade. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking. Um, uh, you, you you talk about stabbings, and so you you know the Mexican mafia, Sureños, Norteños. Uh, most of these the places where you're working on that's. That's the bulk of the down population. South, down south. So I had, I had, and, and for people that don't know, like, can you explain a little about the difference between sureños and norteños, and what the, what what does that mean as far as right. you know? Because they're all they're all Mexicans. They're all brown. Right. Can, I hear what you're saying. Can, can you explain? Can you explain a little bit of that? So California, from the border of Oregon, all the way down to Mexico, right. You could cut the, the middle central California like Salinas or whatever. So let's just say from Salinas on down, you could call it Sureño territory, Southern Hispanic, Sur. Uh, 13, the X3, is 13th letter in the alphabet is for the M, stands for Mexican Mafia. They um, show their alliance to the Mexican Mafia, right? They control. Now, you do have Sureños up north, right? So we're not going to get too technical, from Salinas on up, or straight Norteños, they were red. Uh, Nuestra Familia, that's the umbrella that they're under. Now, the Nuestra Familia, I believe, was founded because they broke, they didn't want to be suppressed by the Mexican Mafia. So they went off, they did their own thing, uh, like uh, up there, you know, up north. Red, blue, north versus south, that shit has always fucking been on and cracking, dude, since like, there was like a, a shoe war back in the 50s. It, it was like a, a old legends folks tale that a dude was killed over a pair of shoes or a boots and it's been on and going on cracking ever since which is crazy to say because what are they killing each other for inside or what do you what like what is that violence about when you see it inside so you have to understand whatever happened in the streets does not carry over into the prison as far as southern politics sureño mexican mafia politics in los angeles you probably got every gang under the sun and a lot of them war with each other. They're enemies, arch enemies. Well, when you get into the correctional system, jail, prison, they all are one. You could be fucking living with your enemy. And is there a talk about that when you like? Have, did you witness any sort of like, hey, this is how it happens here, or, or are they learning it outside? Like I've heard this where you would you would be you, people would get dropped into a place like that, and the people that they were at war with. Only a few hours later, right, are now a part of the group they're in right. because they have to keep themselves alive in there. The numbers. It's a numbers game. Um, but the, it's, it's common knowledge. Yeah. Like you don't really got to ask to you know the, the... It's common knowledge on green and blue side, a correctional staff and inmate side. So let's say I'm a, um, brown, Mexican, and Ooh. I've never been into the system and I end up myself in, end up myself in a place yeah. like that. Am so, I going to get approached? Is there going to be a conversation with me? So let's talk about you know, North, Norteños, Sureños, and then the Paisas down south. Paisas. I mean, we don't necessarily have like the Puerto Ricans or the Latin Kings and stuff like that. That, that the East Coast has. We have Norteños, Sureños, and Paisas when it comes to the Mexicans. And the Paisas are the dudes from like Sinaloa, uh, Tijuana, all these freaking places. And um, 
they follow under the rules of the Mexican mafia structure. If you're a Mexican, you're going to get approached by the Mexicans. The first thing they're going to say, well, they're going to say, like, who are you? Where are you from? Let me see your paperwork. Yeah. Like, what that means is let us see your Let's criminal see. charges. Yeah. Are you, are you a snitch? Like, what the fuck are you? If you're a snitch, if you're a sex offender, play with kids, or, you know, rape, um, you are going to get fucked up. Like, when, you, when, when you say that, I mean, that's like a... People talk about it, and then, like, I know what oh, happens. No, no. I know what get fucked up. I know what happens here. Like, we would put somebody with that type of... Uh, they wouldn't last two, right. three days. No, they're going to attempt to kill that person. And is that... Where does that come from? Like we're like that's, that's the code they have. Believe it or not, the crim, the criminals, the gangsters, the inmates, they have a code. They they honor they they, you know, you probably think, oh, just because you committed a crime, you're a piece of shit yeah. of a person. Yeah, not necessarily. No, they have their belief systems, and I see that definitely now more than anything because I talk to a lot, and we can even get into that. Yeah. When you, and um, hey, they were indoctrinated at a young age. Their their, their, their circumstances, their upbringing, it's like. Just how I was a young kid programmed to join the military and go off and fight for somebody else, they're the same thing. Now, you're in the system, and you're experiencing people coming in and out. You're, you're seeing the politics from within. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do, you know, I imagine you, you guys are getting intelligence briefings uh, that are internal about what's going on inside and investigations and shit like that you find inside that have some sort of reverberation on the outside. Are you seeing that while you're going through this process of being in that place, are you seeing that interaction of shit happening on the outside and people coming in and asking questions on the inside or vice versa? Yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff, bro. It intrigues me, the investigations type. You know, I was never in an investigative unit, but I always stayed up on, on, on gangs and investigate. I always did so, my homework on my end. Did any, were you self-educating yourself on, the, on some of these things? Were you like going online and figuring out what, what the hell does that mean? I was going online... Believe it or not, man, when, you know, me and my wife were dating early on, we were in Los Angeles. I even wanted to drive down, like, Jordan Downs apartments in, in Watts and, like, you know, South. I just wanted to see, to see the, where, where, the, where these guys are coming from. Facts. You know, I'm that type of person that has to go do my homework and has to see. You know, and that's, yeah. that's Bloods and Crips right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was always intrigued. But, like, uh, you know, I guess Los Palios, they were to some, like in Chula Vista or like Tijuana, they we, were at Donovan. Yeah. We, oh, that's, that's, an, that's an interesting way into it. So Los Palillos gang, um, they dressed up as federal agents. <laughs> and when I say this, every now and then, like at a conference or something, like I'll say people, cartel members dressing up as federal agents and abducting people from their houses. And then making them disappear in acid. Where did this happen? And everybody's like, oh, we're in Mexico. That's right across the border in San Diego that happened. Uh, a few, a few, more than a few times. Yeah. I was involved in finding some of their houses no. on this side, you know, with the unit that I used to work with. And it's, it's scary shit. And also mind-blowing shit as far as how free they were to move across the border. Uh, a lot of the people that we caught in my time here in Mexico, including Conejo, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about it in a bit. A lot of the people that we caught would be handed over and or extradited on charges or just basically have to hand them over to the U.S. And they would end up on your end. California. So that's, that was, that's a weird link that both of us have as far as experience. Like I, I probably grabbed people that ended up where you were. Right. 
were people like that, you, you talk about Los Palillos that ended up on your end. What was, what was the nature of their presence there? Did they have influence? Were they received? Did they have an allegiance as soon as they got there? Were they untouchable? Like what, what, type, of a, what type of reaction does somebody of a cartel level so, have when they get there? So this is the truth, bro. This is a, in California, those organizations that I just mentioned, Nuestra Familia, Mexican Mafia, Black Gorilla Family, even though the Black Gorilla Family has been laying low, they're still around. Yeah. The Aryan Brotherhood, they control. They control. Ain't no other anybody else controlling, you know what I mean? So you can be a, a cartel member from down here. You get in there, you're really like a nobody. It's an island. Yeah, and I hate to say that. Well, I mean, it's the truth. Like you're a nobody. It's like, hey, man. Like you're like if you're not controlling, then you're not. Then you're not either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, do they have ties? Uh, I'm pretty damn sure they make arrangements to fucking smuggle and do yeah. business. Yeah. Right, but then that would just be business. That wouldn't necessarily be, you know. Yeah. Planting the flag on the fucking... On your end, you're working in this environment. Does any of that environment find you outside of that place? Like going to the store and finding a dude that was inside and now he's outside and he's like watching you from, a, from across the registers saying hi. Does any of that start kind of like popping up into your experience? The only, only time like those, those things happen where my friends, my friends from back home, Brawley would commit crimes, go to prison. I would see them in prison. Then they would come out, and then I would see them Fuck. outside. That's what, what was that experience like? I mean... Yeah, one of them committed murder, man. He's, he's still in there right now. Um, Shit. It's because they were younger than me. So they yeah. were my sister's age. So I look at them as like kids. Yeah. Three years younger than me, you're going to be a kid. Fuck, yeah. there's probably older people, I think, that are kids, <laughs> act like kids. But uh, it's, I would tell them, like, hey, man, like, outside, don't go, stay out. Stay out, man. Go fucking get a job, dude. Stay out. Oh, I know, I know, Hector. I know. Like, come on, like, get your shit together, bro. For real. I know, I know. And then I would see him back in the prison, and I, and I meant it too. Like, hey, come on, bro. That, that's not the place, dude. Were what was the what was the feeling when you would see him inside, seeing a familiar face behind lock and key that you were in charge of? Oh, uh, my, my thought, my depending on who it was, it would be like, fuck, man, because I partied with these dudes. I partied fucking hard with them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like we know our sins, and now yeah, I am outside. Sins. And yeah. I'm outside of, and I have the key, and you're inside. Yeah, I, I would kind of only hope, like, oh, hopefully this dude is not fucking telling other people, like, hey, this fool used to get down, right? Like, <laughs> but um, since I had completely changed my fucking life around, you're, you're it, fine. It was just a whole new different person. Like, and I think he saw that. Like, oh, this dude is not the same dude. What was the best lesson that somebody in there, one of the older guys, gave you for that job? Like on, uh, like advice, a, lesson. Um, it's all business. Nothing's personal. Yeah. But I think, to tell you the truth, bro, and I'll be honest, I think that fucking changed, man. That's changed. Everything's personal. It, the the administration has made it personal, bro. It got personal. When, when you say the administration, what has changed policy-wise that led you to go from this was a job that you had the responsibility, you did it, and if you called up, they would say, like, what the fuck do you right. want? What changed? What changed were all the lawsuits that hit the department and bombarded them, and then a federal uh, oversight, a federal receivership of uh, the medical standpoint. 
So it's like, yeah, maybe at one point you had the green wall gang of correctional officers that were beating up inmates, right? But that was like in the 90s. I wasn't there for that shit. Yeah. Like I wasn't. But because of that gladiator fights in Corcoran, Gladiator. When you say gladiator fights, can you explain what that was? Yeah, there was like this big giant thing in in Corcoran, Corcoran Shoe, the security housing unit. You had Pelican Bay, which everybody knows about. That's when those Mexican mafia members, Norteños, Sureños, were um, locked down uh, at Seg the whole twenty three hours a day, twenty four hours a day. Well, they would get to go out to a concrete yard, and well, if I know anything about how the department works. Those orders were coming from above because yeah. I had to do that at, yeah. during my time. And pretty much what those orders look like is, hey, don't separate them anymore. Don't separate the enemies. Put them together. Well, we know what's going to happen, bro. It's cock, human cockfighting. Yeah, we know what's going to happen. So, yeah, but apparently, I don't know. I wasn't there, but yeah. apparently they were like, you know, oh, I want to get this big guy, this big Norteño and this big Sureño and put them together. I got money. Let's bet. Possibly that happened. But, wild. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, what's kind of fucked up is that dudes were getting shot with, uh, I think they had H&K 9 millimeters back then and um, Mini-14. Just like, I don't know, I can't gas, gra- grasp that concept. Like, yeah. if they're already fighting and they're already killing each other, like, why feel the need to pull the trigger? And that's behind you as you're going into this place, this career. This is the history that you, that, that this is what's behind you as you go into this and like, it well, starts changing all the policies around. They start changing. It was that. It was like at and that time frame, bro. Is it basically neutering your ability to do a great, uh, Beyond, a, a, jo- a good job? What 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 are they taking from you as a corrections officer? All things peace officer abilities, um, uh, the ability to make decisions on your own, right? They want you to be a fucking idiot robot, like. Call, 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 call before you do Call your supervisor, call your supervisor, call your supervisor. That was another flip when it was never don't call your supervisor. Now everybody, you have to understand, just because they want to come out with a new directive, people can't just change on the spot. Yeah. And they're not good at communicating. As a matter of fact, they do not, the top down, right? The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So you could imagine if you have one thing that changed. In the past, if there was an inmate on the yard, and he was not supposed to be out there. And the officers say, hey, man, take it home. Take it to your cell. And he says, fuck you, make me. <laughs> well, guess what they would do? Make him. Correct. Pick his ass up, throw him on the ground, kick him around, go take him to the cell. Well, of course, that stopped. One of the things that changed was that. <laughs> they said, you guys can't do that no more. Now what is it like? Is you, have to call the, you have to call the sergeant. It's basically a whole negotiation, basically. Yeah, negotiation. You have to call the sergeant. And they're like, because he's not presenting an imminent threat. He's just saying he doesn't want to go back to the cell. So it was a lot of those fucking which, boom. Which pulls people, resources, and everything to one specific thing and other shit happens. This is what it does. If somebody, if an inmate's not happy with what he wants, he can just fucking see what's happening and be like, I'm not going. Call the sergeant. <laughs> so now... We're to the place now where you can have an inmate sitting down and be like, oh, I want to talk to the warden. You better believe, like, we're at a place now where the warden will come down and give him whatever the fuck, a chocolate chip cookie, a cake, and things that he doesn't even have coming. Negotiation. Negotiations, but on a, not a cool level. The, what about drugs in that environment? There's more, probably more dope in there than there is out here. Yeah, when you say dope, what, heroin, fentanyl? Heroin was... Nicotine, you have tobacco, marijuana, um, heroin, coke, meth. I was in the system when fentanyl came online. 
Yeah, I, that's what I'm curious about. What what did fentanyl do inside? Like I, we know what it's do, do, doing outside, it's killing a bunch of people, making a bunch of zombies. But inside, so you got to remember, as things are unfolding, they're they're unfolding. So we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's fentanyl. We just yeah. know that a lot of dudes are starting to overdose, overdose, overdose. I mean, overdoses were common before, but like what, this was, is what happened. Was this like a like a sudden period? It's sudden. Like what what year? between 20 like between 2010 and 2014 so it yeah. could have been like 2011 2012 and these dudes were fucking dying bro did, was, did, did this come around the same time like after legalization in california basically of around the, of the weed yeah or like was, kind, was it was of. it around the same time now that you mentioned it yeah, yeah. so you you started experiencing these people just dying, dropping dying. dead. So then we were telling them, hey, we were straight telling them, right? Like, hey, don't do the dope. There's a bad batch. That's what we kept calling it. There's a bad batch. But the weird thing about inmates and drugs is they, the more they see somebody do something, they're like, oh, I want that. Yeah. I mean, they're already in fucking the hole. Like, no, but they're like, damn, that must be some good, strong shit. I want that. And it's like, I don't want nothing like that. It's going to kill me. I'll measure it better. Yeah. Or I have a higher <laughs> tolerance. What a bitch. Yeah. But yeah, it was... That, that's how it started. Hey, there's a bad batch going around. And for people that don't know, what does it look like? Fentanyl? Like what, what are you looking... What, what, what do they have in their hands? Is it a powder? Is I know it, what heroin looks like. Heroin looks like... Uh, well, depending on what you could find, you could find a bottle cap, you could find a tooth uh, chapstick cap. Um, hair, and this is not like the DEA making drug bust of yeah, bundles and kilos, yeah, right? This is like a little fucking piece of toilet paper that you stick in your nose and like, ah, I made a bust, right? I'm like going to yeah. call it. Yeah. But um, this is small, hard to detect. Who's putting it in? Family ev- members? Everywhere, man. Like some, what, what are some of the smuggling systems that you've, you, you, you were able to see and detect in there? Family members, uh, the visitors of the inmates, uh, dirty correctional peace officers. Was uh, was was. So when you say dirty correctional piece of corruption within the institution, you experience dirty that. cops. You yeah, experience yeah. that M- more than more than three handfuls of times. Yeah. So this is this is getting in there. Phones, cell phones were dominant. To at one point, tobacco was selling more than heroin. Why no cell phone dampeners in the in the prisons? Like they got they have them here in Mexico. They got them they in Centinella. They put them up. Yeah. But check this. I don't want to give away the secret, but there is a way to get around it. I, I, with anything, you know, people figure it out, and I've, 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 I've dabbled in that, so we won't, we won't uh, reveal anything that people can't find. Right. But uh, this, this, uh, this environment, like, do you get people who are known in there that are like, hey, I know that guy. Like celebrity people, that that type of like, or people that you see on the news under a giant case, and all of a sudden you find them in there, like los palillos, like you see them in there now. And when people like that come in there, like, what's the reception like? Are they humbled? Are they received with uh, with joy, hate? What's what's that like? The majority of the inmates' program. They fly under the radar, they do their thing. Now, that could be far-fetched. It all depends on what yard, what prison, right? But, like, very, like, yeah, you have your assholes wild, out-of-control people, right? But that, I mean, there you're going to deal with them when you deal with them. The majority just want to live, they live there. They're just trying to get through the fucking day. 
So the palios, I found out about them because you hear your staff members talking about, yeah. oh, those are the palios. The palios are on the yard. I'm like, who the fuck are the palios, right? Yeah. We have computer systems now, which we didn't have in the past. So I could research. I go on Google, you know, Chula Vista. I'm like, <laughs> what does that do to you, you, the way that you work around these people? Nothing, because I treat them all the same, like like the same professional. Yeah, it's it's uh. So when you when you kind of thinking about this question more, um, so you're in this job where you're basically housing. I mean, California is known for its you know it's a rowdy it's a rowdy place, right? <laughs> um, people that look at fiction around prison systems, specifically around here. I mean, I, we all of us grew up on, you know, blood in, blood out and all that right. shit. Um, the rape culture that is prevalent and, and, and talked about a lot in this, this, this uh, sense of I don't know, urban legend aspect of it, is it as bad or is it as prevalent as it's, it's portrayed is what I would say. So when I, when I personally went to jail in Imperial County Jail, they gave us the rules, the reglas. Hey, no horseplay, no sex play, no rape. When I heard that, it was music to my ears, bro. Like, oh, thank fucking God. <laughs> because, you know, the, the, the movies, Blood In, Blood Out, American Me. All that shit is there. And when I heard them say that was part of their rules, I'm like, oh, you, you ain't nobody trying to get their ass taken. <laughs> um, and does it happen in prison? Do individuals get raped? Yes. And yes. What is that about? Is it actual fucking frustration and need? Or is uh, it? It's predatorial behavior, asserting your dominance over somebody. It's fucking. And what uh, happens to somebody after that happens? You, it's a whole. The, the California Department of Corrections and the United States in general takes that very serious. It's called PREA, Prison Rape Elimination Act. It's like a whole entire law. Uh, you literally have to go through the whole entire process as if a person on excellent. the streets, yeah, female, taking them. Now, the problem was that. Is you better believe they manipulate that oh, of system. Of course, of course. You get two trying two inmates that are in love and they get a breakup. They claim rape on each other, but we have to go that's why through the whole process. And then afterwards, you know, they oh, we were just mad. Are, do they get separated? Do they get uh, placed in a yeah. different? You get put in handcuffs. The whole incident packet. You know, I was a lieutenant. I made it to the rank of lieutenant. So it's a whole packet. It's a whole ordeal. It's not nothing like. We have to look into it. The current state of affairs when it comes to gender. Oh my goodness, dude. And, and it, this is something that not a, lot of peop- not a lot of people know about, but you experience it within, right? We are seeing the genders being a fluid concept and men, uh, biologically born men who are now self-identifying as women or vice versa. What what has been your experience with that within the uh, penal system? Is there anything I can't say on here? We're fine. We're, we're in Mexico, and we're okay, I guess. So <laughs> that was a change, too, right? Yeah. Like, the, when the whole... T- everything that happens in the streets it gets transferred over yeah. to prison. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a microcosm. Concert, microcosm expression right. of what's happening outside. Right. So, hey, everybody's on board wanting to do this whole transgender. You got Target wanting to build transgender bathrooms and stuff. And we're in fucking California of all places, bro. We're the, spe- we're the tip of the fucking spear. Yeah. So, hey, you got to call these transgenders by what they want to be called, their pronoun. He or she, her. Was, was that now part dictated policy for you guys to 
to basically write down and or refer to strict, people by their pronouns. Strict policy, as in you'll get in trouble if you don't. When it, and so here's the, here's the part about it, man. Not everybody agrees with that. Not everybody is a quick learner. Like Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> like I, I, I speak English, but I'm new to the country. Right, so imagine how confused. I usually, if somebody presents themselves as a woman, and they're, if they're a dude, like, and, but they present themselves as a woman, ma'am, lady, yeah. I'm fine with that. It's, right. It's okay. But I'm not in a setting like you are where this is, this, there are people that are trying to figure ways out of things and make things easier for themselves. One of the things I, I had a hard time was when, when the inmates would get written up for a rules violation, like a write-up or an incident, they would be referring to the inmate as a she on the report. I told her to lock it up. I told her, I'm like, Hey, what the fuck? Like, I had to adjust. Oh, these officers are writing. Like, and, you know, it's like, damn, are we really doing this, right? But then you start seeing what's happening that they don't be showing the, they don't be showing the public. They take them to Beverly Hills to get breast implants, to get sex realignment. What do you mean they take them? Like, who takes them and who are they taking? The inmates? The state of California, the Department of Corrections, will fucking pay, fund for an inmate if they want to transition. If they want to transition and they want to, hey, you know, call me Sally today and I want a pair of, of breasts. Okay, cool. Fill out this flip, this slip, and we're going to get you a procedure done. And that Taxpayer is, money. That's, that's happening. That's so so how, how would somebody even approach that? Hey, uh, I'll go see. Hey, can I see the psychologist? And it leads to a conversation that led and leads to me being able to surgically augment myself. Facts. So they're already doing it. Like, like they already grew out their hair. They already kind of like, you know, that, what you, whatever the, I don't know the medications, but the ones that make your breast grow. Yeah. Hormones or. Yeah. Hormone replacement therapy. They, they, the, the Department of Corrections gives it to them. They got to go to the clinic. They get the shots. Right. So they're already looking Somewhat like females, not, you know. Yeah. And then they just want to go for the whole shebang. The Department of Corrections is going to fucking pay for that shit. So the, once that happens, do they get transferred or well, are they already transferred when they self-identify? So I told you all these changes uh, happen. These are legit. These are, I'm not trying to be. No, I hear you. Uh, I, dude, I'm, I'm all about going to my best friend's wedding and he's gay and he's marrying his, 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 his husband. Right. But I with smoking a joint and having a gun on me, th those are my politics. I'm cool about it, man. People want to call themselves right. whatever. Great, but what what's like? Is somebody? Just, I'm I don't like it here in the male prison. Let me figure this out and let me go to the female prison. That's what I'm like. You, bro. I'm like you. And I wasn't initially like that. I'll be honest to you, and I'll be honest to you know everybody else. Like I had my beliefs growing up, and then you learn like, okay, well, fuck it. Like hey, yeah. it, it is what it is, man. Who gives a fuck, right? So I'm the same way, man. If you want to be identified, whatever, like I'm cool. But when you're going to get like taxpayers' money, that's a problem. When you're going to manipulate a system, that's a problem. And when the recent change where I get, right now you have male inmates with male parts housed in female prisons in California. And, and they are raping the women because I have female advocates reaching out to me and giving me all the information that's a problem because now you're putting people at risk. And and you think you think the numbers will reflect that when we look at numbers before this policies were instated now in some of these female prisons where like, oh, 
more people are well some uh, of these things are happening more now. Two days ago I got a DM in my one of my you know programs and or accounts and it's like, hey, we have four hundred inmates males in route to the female institution. And and it's it's like, hey, I didn't fact check it, I didn't verify it, right? But it just know it's what a, I know what I know it's a truth. Like it's it's, it's not ab, out of normal. So these are, you know, these are the things that people but, wonder about. But I, and I talk about corruption, right, and why I left the department. Even though it's a law, it's a law, California law, that if you identify as a female, you be, will be housed in a female prison. That's a law. But I also operate on ethics. Is it ethical to allow a man to rape a woman and manipulate that system? And that's what the higher-ups and administrations, they are punishing the actual female victims for attempting to speak out. Yeah. That's wrong, dude. Yeah, it's, that's, that's pretty horrible. You say you, we'll talk, we kind of have to talk about this after party aspect of it. Uh, what was your moment when you said, you know what? This is enough. Like, what was that moment like for you? It was, it was, it was two major moments. I was a public information officer for the warden at the time. I was a right-hand man for the warden. That warden was a fucking dick, bro. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Not like a person that's an asshole, like Hitler. Like the mentality, like... Sociopathic. So he was a social, nar- narcissistic Nar- sociopath to the point where I asked a sergeant one time, hey, if this dude can get away with killing us, do you think he would? He goes, absolutely. And, and that's the truth. That is the fucking truth. And imagine that a warden, bro. How the fuck are they going to promote somebody like that to warden? And how am I going to be his right-hand man? What was the moment? Uh, well, you know, my, my wife, she had a sister, and it was during COVID. And the sister got COVID, passed away unexpectedly, 41 years of age. Fuck. Admit, and, dude, that I'm was... Sorry, I'm sorry about that. Bro. Thank you, thank you. And... um. I got the phone call. Well, she got the phone call at midnight and screaming and the yells. And I'm, I knew instantly. She, the, the sister was in the ICU. So I knew instantly. And I'm like, fuck. Because my wife looked up to her and loved her like a mother. It's, it's, it's a giant loss of, of somebody that's been there with you through your transformation, through your experience. The most very important person in your life calling you with this loss on top of that man when we had our child our daughter she, that my sister-in-law took over bro hey you guys take a nap i'm gonna cook for you guys i'm gonna watch the dog and anybody who has newborns knows that you need that <laughs> you fucking need to sleep yeah sleep is a, is a luxury that. right and she's she, she she leaves she passed away i get on the phone and, and i text the warden hey sir uh you know i just received news of my sister-in-law passing away i'm gonna not be working to work tomorrow and i may return on monday he said, bring me proof, bring me verification. And I'm like, the fuck? Fuck this dude. Like, boom, through the cell phone. I'm like, fuck this guy. Like, it just goes to show you how hard it is, right? Yeah. And not to say that that's not like policy or whatever, but that just goes to show you the type of... I'm his fucking right-hand man. You can talk to your right-hand man like it's that. Disgusting. Like, there was that. And even another bad thing was this dude surrounded himself with ass kissers and people, yeah. yes men. Which I don't know if the dude thought I was, right? That's why he brought me close to him. But I'm dead. That's not my motherfucking style. Especially when people are going to get hurt. Like in this story, there was a captain. The captain was an imbecile, bro. And I'm not, when I call these people that, I'm talking about like they were really, he probably had, he had no business working in a prison, let alone being a captain. He was just very book smart. So he was able to pass the test and get there. Well, he befriended a Mexican mafia member on his yard. 
And that Mexican mafia member with a newly made member, that dude wasn't all there. It's like you got all these fucking dudes in charge that shouldn't be in charge, right? And they created an extremely, extremely dangerous environment on that yard by empowering, empowering the inmates where the officers had no say, the sergeants had no say, the lieutenant is just the captain giving them all this stuff to be his best friend. Well, one day that inmate gets drunk and attacks two officers. You know, they said that the officers disrespected him, but either way, they felt so empowered to pull out knives and fucking start blasting the dude, knocked out all his teeth, they stole the officer's baton, smashed his foot, broke his fucking face, and they, f- they attempted to kill these two fucking cops. And um, it, was, it was a big incident, bro. And because of that, an associate warden, he, he, he was a respectable associate warden. He'd done like 20 years. He was close to retiring. He sent out a mass email saying, you know, the blood is on your hands, warden. We all saw this coming because we did. Uh, we all saw this coming. You're responsible for this. Well, since I was a right-hand man, headquarters from the California Department of Correction, Sacramento, they sent me an email Hey, Lieutenant so-and-so, I want you to type up a rebuttal to this email. And I'm like, the fuck? Wait, why would I do that? Because I was naive. Yeah. I'm like, why would I type up a rebuttal? Because you have to. I'm like, why would I type up a rebuttal? In their mind, you it, have it, to. It's true. Yeah. It's true. And then five minutes later, never mind, we, we, don't worry about it. We already got it. And I read it. Oh, bro. It said, Sacramento has full support of the administration and Donovan. They are trained professionals. We will back them. Uh, AW so-and-so's. Narrative. AW so-and-so's allegations are unsubstantiated and untrue. And then it hit me. This fucking corruption goes all the way to the top. I don't want to be here. I don't want nothing to do with this. And I told the warden, send me back. Send me back to the line. And he's like, all right, fine. (laughs) It was kind of the SWAT team commander, too, the crisis response team commander of the team. He's like, I'll let you go back. And I, but I'll let you keep commander and you can go back. I'm like, this fucking guy's clueless, bro. I don't give a fuck about anything right now. Send me back. <laughs> that was that. that, that uh, so then I, 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 the wheels started spinning. Yeah. You're, I'm you're, gonna resign. You're, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna resign. What's your, what, what, you're gonna quit. You're gonna resign. And where are you going? Anywhere but there. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising how no options sometimes is better than the option of losing your fucking soul. In a place like Losing that. your soul, selling your soul. So I had a, when the inmates, twice, they asked me to bring in contraband for them, uh, you know, and I would tell them straight up, like, straight up like this, look, man, I would rather be homeless, without shoes, living at a park, eating out of a trash can, that you ever bring shit to you. Yeah. And then they would just, oh, fuck. <laughs> this fucking, yeah. That's how I felt after I saw what I saw. I will not take a state check. Like, I'm yeah. not going to be a part of this fucking show. Uh, that's my belief system, though. What's your conversation with your wife like? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had a similar my, experience. So my, like, what's my your conversation? poor wife, bro? I put her through some roller coasters, right? Bless, so, bless this woman. So prior to me resigning, her, my father-in-law, her dad was over. Her parents were over, and I and I conversed with them. I said, "Hey, sir, like, uh, I'm thinking of leaving the job," and he's like, "All right, cool. Like, good luck. You know, I, I wish the best for you." And then it's like, boom, I just got this dude's blessings. This is his granddaughter. This is his daughter. He just gave me his blessings to leave the career. Yeah. Uh, I had brought it up to my dad. I had fished. I had threw the line out there. Oh, and he reacted like I knew he was going to react. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? You're <laughs> fucking, don't you dare. It's a short thing. Like, what are you doing with this career? Right. 
Um, where's your mind at with it? Like, what, what do you? My what, mind what's was, your, what was your? What, yeah, you don't want you lose your soul, and it's unsustainable. And I get that pressure, constant anxiety around being in that environment. Uh, looking at the totality of the circumstances, I had 12 more years left till I can collect retirement at the age of 50. My daughter was three, four at the time. That's, I ain't gonna spend a whole fucking career. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be this angry, this fucking person. Did working for the, you know. Yeah. While she turned 16 years old, I'm gonna miss out on her whole entire life. My days off are Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, my shift hours are from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. That's the whole entire day. I'm gone. Like, fuck no. I, I'll, I'll take a massive pay cut. It. It's not about the money. That's what it came down to. It's not about the, the money. money. No. It's a- at one point, it was about the money. And then, nah. You're past that. It ain't about the money. I have a daughter now. That what's She your, changed the game. What's your last day like? <laughs> so I had pitched the idea to my, daughter, my wife that I was going to quit. Man, my wife be putting tens on stuff, man. She'd be going, she's like, as far as I'm concerned, if I tell you I'm going to quit, I could fucking quit tomorrow. And that means I told you. Yeah. <laughs> she was under the impression that it was going to be like a year, two years. Like, <laughs> it was, it was, how long? Look at the next day. Fuck it. Pretty close, bro. It was December 1st, 2022. I walk into work. So I had come out on a podcast, man, and I had aired out a lot of dirty laundry about the department, right? Because I wanted to get out and tell the truth. Yeah, there's a whole, part of the whole reason why I do this kind of stuff. To let the people know the mass today, this is what's going on in the California Department of Corrections. Well, once my air, my podcast aired, you know, everything spreads like wildfire in the yeah, yeah, sharing. so boom, sharing. So there I am. Now I'm on the map, and I knew that once I became on the map, my countdown. Because trust me, you cannot put nothing past this department. They'll fucking probably plant stuff on you. They'll, they'll probably f- they'll figure a way to push you out. No, they'll figure a way to get you in a jam and fuck you over and strip everything from you, your retirement, you know, tarnish you. But I was so quick to the punch, bro. I, had, I planned this shit like a year out. I, plan, I planned this whole exit strategy. And it was to remain cool, calm, and collective, and peaceful and walk out the front door. Uh, one day I went to work, and then my three partners said, like, oh, why are you doing this now? Why are you doing this? You know, it's kind of like the whole crabs in the bucket mentality, like... Why do you want to leave? This and that. And I said, you know what? Today's the day. I'm fucking out of here. Go to my desk. And I was calm, bro. Probably the calmest I ever been. Jeez. And uh, those two female sergeants are like, what are you doing? I'm like, typing up my resignation letter. Like, no, no way. And uh, like, what the? F- ah, you know, no way, no way. I'm like, yeah. They're like, are you serious? Yeah, look. And they're like, you're not even like nervous or anything. I'm like, no, nah, I'm cool. And they're like, hey, if you're serious, like, give me a hug. Like, we worked with you for a long time. I'm like, hey, I'm fucking serious. Like, you guys ever need anything, reach out to me. I'll be around. Walk. The warden was right outside of the door. I walk out. I said, hey, sir, here's my resignation letter. He looks at it. He's like, all right. Good luck. He didn't fucking say, like, oh, what can we do to keep you? They already knew what time it was. Yeah. Like, they, they don't like guys that go against the grain. Yeah. Or, or girls that go against the grain. Or, or speak the truth. Yeah. You don't. You don't. You can't have that there. You cannot have that. You leave this environment. You already left. Uh, you know your military experience and ended up in a bad place, uh, drinking, getting into some shit, almost losing your shot to be in corrections and all of this crap. This is a second time that your world has ended, I guess, in a lot of ways. So you're out of there. 
what are you doing? Like, what is what is that like? What is that experience like of having all that shit behind you now? And like, what's next? You almost think I almost thought like being a CEO was my destiny. Right? I almost thought like this is this is me. I'm supposed to do 30 years, retire. But that was not my destiny. That was just another chapter in the book. You know, I have almost 13 years of sobriety. You know, I did struggle with PTSD. I still do. I went through recovery. I went through treatment. My destiny, my passion is to help others, specifically those that are still struggling, right? So I'm on YouTube, which gives me the platform to be able to reach out to the masses. And what, what's, your, what's your message on YouTube? Like, what do you talk about on YouTube? For people that are going to, obviously, people are going to listen to this and go and check you out. But, like, yeah. what's, 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 your, what's, your, uh, what's your crusade? So my crusade is I talk about prison stuff, right? But I always spin in a positive message. Yeah. And you didn't have to be a prison guard, right? Because I'm speaking from life experience. And those that follow now get the mess. They see like, okay, we, bro, they were um, hesitant when I first came out. I was just another law enforcement officer. Kind of like, oh, you yeah. know, you can't be trusted. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, they see my genuine, being genuine, yeah, being, being genuine. genuine will carry you through fucking life. We both share a friend. A we weird, <laughs> weird friend. Yeah, yeah. That, no, good who's, friend. who's actually connected us. Uh, Conejo. Yeah, dude. Conejo, for people that don't know, was our first guest on this podcast. I now, saw that one, too. Uh, me and Conejo were on opposite sides of shit. Right. And I was, um, I was around for his presentation to the media while he was stripped and pictures were taken. And I was listening to what he was saying. Um, I got, I got to be around for that, and then I handed him off. And he went on his journey, and I went on mine. After all that shit, we found ourselves uh, we found ourselves in the same house that he was arrested at. Man. And we talked, man, all th- almost all, all the way through the night. We became friends. Um, yeah. Recently, he, he, uh, he called me for something, and I showed up for him, like I do for my friends. And I... I it uh, we were on opposite sides and we did shit. And now we're over here when we realize that all the shit that we were invested in, we were true believers of whatever we were a part of, and all that shit doesn't fucking matter. Now. Facts, right? What's your connection to him? Like, where did he? Well, the show uh, the to, you know the. To piggyback off what you said, it, to me it's similar when you see those old American Vietnam veterans go to Vietnam yeah. and meet their enemy, yeah. former enemy on the battlefield. And you see them, they're old, they shake hands, they hug. Yeah. And they talk about old, ba- old battles and it's like, oh man, you're right, we were past that, we went through it, we fought each other. Yeah. That's a respect, that's a respect of you know, your former enemy. Yeah. Uh, so how I came about to meeting Conejo, man, and I got to give credit where credit is due, um, I had actually seen the movie. He came out in Tax Collector, right? And I was like, oh, damn. Like, I had already knew who Conejo was because I listened yeah. to the Southern rap growing up, right? Just because I was a fucking prison guard doesn't mean I was a square. <laughs> so I listened to that type of rap, you know? And um, somebody watching my YouTube channel reached out to me and said, hey, I used to be an inmate on Charlie Yard right there. And you were there. Oh, shit. Okay, cool, cool. Like, you know, talking, because I'm not a fucking guard no more. I yeah. can talk to whoever the hell I want, right? Yeah. Talking back, talking back and forth, boom, boom, boom. He goes, yeah, my boy Conejo, he likes your videos. I'm like, hold up, Conejo? Yeah, yeah, I was like, Conejo, Conejo? Yeah, because I already knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, you want me to give him your number? I'll have him call you. I'm like, yeah, bro. What a wild fucking thing to so kind of think about. You so know how you're, you're after that couldn't have happened when you were acting. No, it can't because it, there's it, rules, regulations, yeah, and policies. But now you're there. You're out of this. This is an after party. Everybody's like, fuck it. Yeah, sure. I'll take a call from this guy. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, and look at the opportunities it brings. I mean, look, we're fucking sitting across yeah. the table talking. This is like, a, I love this freedom. Yeah. So he calls me. He calls me, bro. And I'm like starstruck. Oh, you hear the voice. He had a very distinctive uh, voice. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you know it's him on the line. <laughs> oh, hey, what's up? He start chopping it up, you know, and I want to know. I was so intrigued on how he was on the run for 16 years. That's fucking because lived it. And I think it's so tr- it's such a trip because I was in the department for 16 years, right? And then I know other individuals that were incarcerated for 16 years, you know, and shout out to them. And it's like now I, it's something to be said about the numbers. You were talking yeah. about the alignments, right? I'm intrigued on how people can be on the run. What is their mindset? Yeah. I want to know what their mindset was in certain stages. And, um, you know, because there's probably fear, anxiety, you know, anger and yeah, but it produces motivation. Something. But it produces something. I mean, if you see who he is now, and if I, I see who you are now, facts, you are, and he is a product of exactly the experiences that he had. Where he Fa- had to and be you so, too. Yeah, facts. All of us, we're sometimes we curse our experiences, and I think a big part of processing PTSD and some of the aspects of trauma, yeah, are not being able to understand that it had to be us. Right. That it had to be you that ran over to Doc. Yeah. That it had to be you oh, that was there on that, uh, on that um, canal. Yeah. And then that was arrested later on when he got back. That had to happen. Uh, the tragedy around ending up in a place that went from bad to worse and the corruption around that, that pushed you out. All that had to happen. It had to happen. And uh, when I see Conejo and seeing what he's doing with his, with his, I don't know what chance he's on. He's on. He's on a. He's on like the the, the ninth life of his uh, cat lives, I guess. Yeah. And I see you doing you what you're doing. Uh, Conejo's helping out a bunch of people. He's he's trying to do things for other people. He's very selfless. Uh, like with me, like when I said, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? You want to be on a podcast with a dude that was part of the organization that arrested you and treated you pretty badly. And he said yes. That's what I like about Conejo, man. Yeah. He's, he's very genuine. He's very authentic. He's very selfless. I think all of us that go through shit like that, we can't help but turning into that because we've, we, we, know, what's, we know what's there. We've but, already been through it. But that plays into the, the success, though, yeah. right? Like... The more you help out people, the more you grow. Like you said, man, I'll, I'll do anything for the dude. Like, yeah. right, we're fucking, uh, he needs to, whatever the fuck. Yeah. And then we'll make it happen. But, um, yeah, he's put me in contact with people. He's uh, yeah. invited me to his concert. That shit was cool in San Diego. I got backstage passes. I was on the fucking stage. I'm like, oh, this shit's cool. Yeah, and look at who's in the audience. And look at where I am. Yeah. Yeah. I have it, I, these moments of surrealness when you're like, holy shit, where, where am I and with who? Right. But it's the street smart set. We know it's fuck, man. We can move through that. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find out more about the work you're currently doing? Uh, you go to a YouTube, That Prison Guard. You type in That Prison Guard. I'm right there, front and center. I'm on Instagram at Hector underscore underscore Bravo. And then uh, torment-tactical.com. And it's... Uh, 
I do offer firearms instruction, right? Um, but California and San Diego ain't firearm friendly, man. I get it. But if you want to learn, you know, I do have some experience with one guns, weapons, instructing, and um, my mindset training and nutrition coaching program, where you want to get fit, start calculating your macros, get into the right mindset of you know becoming a warrior and tackling your day to day demons, man. Cause we all got them. And what better guide? to the underworld and somebody that's been through it. Facts. Hector, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. This Thanks, brother. It's been great. Uh, and I'm excited to see what comes next. Thank you, bro. Uh-huh.